All sports, all the time. There's heroes and there's legends. Heroes get remembered. Legends never die. This is the Spoken Podcast. Hold your ears, folks. It's showtime. I'm your host, Lance Twidwell. Man, that kid, he can ball, man. He can ball. Touchdown, Kansas City! Man with freaking Mahomes, baby! Uh, let's talk some sports, because that's what we're here to do. You are tuned in to the Spoken. Spoken. Ladies and gentlemen, here is Lance Twidwell. This is the Spoken Podcast. I'm your host, Lance Woodwell, here inside the Starcade Media Studios with my guys Trevor Woodwell and Eddie Ortiz. Yo, yo, yo. Episode 204 in full swing, full motion. We are so happy to be here with you and for you to be here with us. Whether you are live streaming, whether you are podcasting, or whether you are YouTubing, thank you so much for taking time to be with us in this time as we have yet another Chief Super Bowl appearance to celebrate. Uh, this is something that I'm very excited to break down and talk to you guys about, but that is not even a tip of what we have to discuss today. Man, we have NFC Championship to recap and discuss. We have the we have uh, all different types of things in the world of sports to discuss in the Eddie Hour. We have some L's to hand out. Man, we have a fun-filled, packed show for you guys today. I know it's starting a little bit later today, but I hope you guys are ready for this show. If you're live streaming, thank you so much for hanging tough with us, guys, as we have had a hell of a morning to start this show. But we are here. We are resilient. We fight through things. And we are so stoked to be here with you guys, and I want to thank you so much for that. If you've not already done it, go ahead to our YouTube channel, hit subscribe, hit the notification button, so whenever we do live stream, whenever we hit live, you get notified first and foremost, and you can join in on the chat with us. Let us know what you guys are thinking about what we're discussing on the show. If you want to chime in, if you have a thought, you have a question, you have a take, let us know in the chat. Let us know what you guys wanted to talk about today in the world of sports. There's plenty to discuss. This is a great time to talk about it. we got nothing to do. It's a great Saturday to do such things. So let's get right to it, guys. So I want to start with the NFC Championship because I think this is the one where we need to just kind of skim through it because that's exactly what happened in this Great game. game. The yeah. Eagles absolutely, yeah, just <laughs> an outstanding, you know, a portion of television, quality content, if you will. Nail-biter. Absolute nail-biter. You know, a, a 20, what, 24-point victory for the Eagles. You know, I'm going to be honest with you. Trevor and I watched the first half, and then we went and met up with some uh, family members at, at, the, at another house. Uh, when the second half was just literally kicking off. And I'm going to be honest with you guys. This game was disinteresting from about three or four minutes in. And the biggest reason why is because, although I was extremely confident the San Francisco 49ers from the beginning of the season, I might add, were going to get to the Super Bowl. I thought they had the best, most complete team. And as long as they had a healthy quarterback that was just capable enough of being a good quarterback, just just doing the job that, that Kyle Shanahan writes out for you each and every week with maybe the best scripted offense in all of football. I was like, there ain't no way this team ain't making the Super Bowl. This is just this is just too good of a team. Kyle Shanahan's too good of a head coach. This is, this is what they've been doing. And although the Eagles are a very worthy opponent, they were the home team. They were a healthy team. They are healthy enough. You know, they they were feeling good about themselves. Jalen Hurts is back. Lane Johnson's back. Like they were they were feeling good about themselves. They had every reason to be confident going into that game. But even with that considered, I was like, look, man, Brock Purdy's good. 
This kid is capable. He's been showing it in the postseason, regular season, doesn't matter what the stage. He's ready to go. He's ready to take on the challenge, and he's been nails. He didn't have a great game against the Cowboys, but it was good enough to get the job done. I thought he was going to do the exact thing and let his playmakers do their job and let the defense make just one more one more play than the Eagles defense. It'd be a close, like Eddie and I said, be a very close, ugly, boring, borderline boring game, and the, and the, the Niners would advance in a big upset. But that's not what happened because, as I said, within about three minutes of the game, Brock Purdy goes down, Hassan Reddick hits him in the right arm and his throwing arm as he's going through a throwing motion and it blows up his UC, uh, UCL. Ba- basically Tommy John. He's going to miss the next six to seven months. He won't be ready for the beginning of the regular season. He will not be able to do any off-season drills, any off-season programs. His quarterback's which, cursed over there. Yes, I mean, I've never seen a team in a single season lose not four one, not two, not three, but four. I feel like I'm doing the LeBron thing. They had Christian McCaffrey like, out the throw. I'm like, no, not different him now. quarterbacks. I mean, he, it's like, dude, Brock crazy. Purdy goes down with an injury. A seventh-round rookie, I might add. Yeah. Goes down with an injury. Can't even throw the damn ball. Josh Johnson, a 35-year-old vet who was playing in the, uh, the XFL and the USFL over the last couple of years, comes in, been on like eight or nine NFL teams throughout the last 15 years, Goes in, I think within a two series, he gets a concussion. So like Trevor said, they're, they're going maybe even considering Christian McCaffrey. I saw a video of George Kittle asking Brock Purdy if he was ambidextrous. Yeah. Because he's like, dude, we got to find something. we got to get something lucky? out of this. I mean, yeah. this team was cursed at quarterback this yeah, year. No probably. question about it. I mean, their, two, their top two quarterbacks this season go down with ankle injuries. I mean, it, it, that, that alone should have doomed this team. But Brock Purdy came in with absolute nails. And then you saw the Eagles just pounce on it. They smelt the blood in the water. They saw that the Eagles were as vulnerable as they've been all season, and they just pounced. But here's the biggest thing about this game, because I'm going to give Eagles credit for winning this game. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't the Eagles that won that, that beat the 49ers. It was the 49ers' bad luck and health and their horrific, horrific penalties they put on themselves. They shot themselves in the foot so many times throughout this entire game because they, they were within seven points in the second quarter. Yeah. Chris McCaffrey had that big rushing touchdown. You're thinking, okay, they can make a game of this. Maybe Brock Purdy comes back in the game. Josh Johnson just does enough, and he goes back, and maybe he can save the day. And then they just had penalty after penalty after penalty. Devontae Smith on the other side, I will give him credit. When he dropped that big pass that would look like a completion, he told him, hurry up, get the ball, and, and Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers cannot review the play. Yeah. Therefore, they couldn't challenge it because that was 100% a drop. So that's a touchdown right there that would have been taken away because two plays later they scored a touchdown. So there was just a lot of miscues, injuries, bad penalties that made that game what it was. Jalen Hurts did not have a good game whatsoever. I think he was, uh, was it 13 of 25 for like 140 yards and a touchdown. He hasn't had a good game in the postseason really yet. Yeah, and I mean, the Eagles have not impressive. been tested to this he only point had like whatsoever. Rushing yards. Yeah, he, yeah, he was not good they in ran this game. All over the Niners. So, so this, yeah, this wasn't what the Eagles did. It's what the 49ers couldn't do. So no offense to the Eagles. They deserve to be in the Super Bowl. They were the home team. They were the favorites in this game. Winning this game is not shocking by any means. Probably the best roster in football. But there is context. There is context to what took place. There was just so many advantages that the Eagles inherited in the game, not before the game, in the game. And you just you can't overcome that type of, uh, of scenario for the 49ers. So I want to give credit to the Eagles. Deserving opponent, deserving to be in the Super Bowl. But let's be honest, guys. This, this run to the Super Bowl for the Eagles wasn't exactly battle-tested. Uh, they had the Giants in the first round, and the Giants... Credit to Brian Dable. Credit to what he's done with that very inept roster. Yeah. They had no business being in that game, and it showed in that game. The Eagles were just completely outclassing them. Their defense just dominated the Giants' offensive line, their, their offense as a whole. It just wasn't a game to begin with. <coughs> what was a game, though, however, 
was on the AFC side of things. I remember when I told you guys uh, in my prediction video or in our episode 203 last week when we were talking about this game and breaking down what we were going to see happen between the Chiefs and Bengals, I told you guys that this game was going to be won not by Patrick Mahomes and Joe Burrow. This game's going to be won by which defensive line gets to the other quarterback more and which offensive line can hold back the other defensive line more. The trenches. And I said the Chiefs are going to win this game because Chris Jones is going to be an absolute madman and the Chiefs are going to sack Joe Burrow five times. That's exactly what happened. Chris Jones was the best player on the field in this game. Chris Jones won this game for the Chiefs. Yes, we're going to talk plenty about Patrick Mahomes because he was heroic in this game. One-legged, did what he did, and trust me, I got takes on it. But Chris Jones was the MVP in this game because Joe Burrow, from the very first possession, never felt comfortable. We always talk about, oh, it's Joe Cool. You know, he's got this chill factor to him. He's never The moment's never too big. He never gets rattled. Mm-hmm. He was rattled this entire game. And Mike Dana got in the mix. Frank Clark was a monster. Karloff just got his first career playoff sack. Uh, uh, Derek Nottie and Colin Saunders were in the backfield. Carlos Dunlap was wrecking shit. These guys made Joe Burrow uncomfortable from, fir- from the first drive to the last drive. Did he make some good plays and 50-50 balls to Jamar Chase and T. Higgins? Yes. Third long. Did he make did he make the young secondary look young at times? Yes. But this defensive line, this pass rush, was nothing short of incredible and absolutely took full advantage of what the Bengals offensive line could not do in this game. As bad as Brock Purdy and the and the quarterback situation was for the 49ers in that game against the Eagles, the offensive line for the Bengals was equally as bad. They just you could just totally tell from the beginning. This is a complete mismatch. I know that the the Bills could not get anything going against that that same Bengals offensive line, but that was when I said it. That was more about the Bengal what the Bills couldn't do as a pass rush without Von Miller than what the Bengals could withstand. Once you face an elite pass rush, and the Chiefs have that with Chris Jones, who may be the best defensive player in the league right now. You can't overcome that. And Joe Burrow, being a pocket-passing quarterback, could not withstand that and was uncomfortable the entire time. Not to mention the fact, I think the Bengals had 30 or 40 rushing yards for the entire game. So they couldn't get the ground game going either when they were running all over the Bills' defense just a week previous. This game was decided by the Chiefs' defense. Steve Spagnuolo absolutely coached his ass off of this game. Joe Cullen coached his ass off in this game with his defensive line. Frank Clark getting mic'd up talking about, hey, talking to the offensive line, y'all ain't won a ring yet except one of y'all. Talking about Joe Tooney. I'm just saying, he's firing his guys up. You could tell this team was ready for this game from the moment that they, they knew who their challenge was to start this week off. And I could not be more proud about what this defense did. I mean, the fact that five rookie off, or, uh, uh, quarterbacks played in this game. Yeah. Five. And they made impact plays. Legereus Sneed goes down with a concussion. The Chiefs' best cornerback goes down with a concussion early in this game. And it didn't matter. Well, not to mention two offensive rookies that were big in this game, too. Yes, you're talking about there was there were ten rookies in this game that played a substantial they contributed at a substantial level for the Chiefs in this particular Five, matchup. Six, seven rookies. And I'm gonna get to Brett Veach in a second because this man we we've talked about his early drafts. This man has absolutely been nails for his last three drafts, guys. And we're gonna talk about that in a minute as well. But what this we talked about at the beginning of the year about how Steve Spagnuolo is embarking on something he's never ever had to take on as a defensive coordinator in his career. 
taking his fourth year on as a DC, which is something he's never done, and the fact that he had so many rookies in his starting defense. That's something he's never been comfortable with and has never done. So this was a huge moment for him. Bringing Joe Colon over from Jacksonville and seeing the difference he's made from a defense that finished 29th in sacks last season to now the second in the league this season. Nothing short of amazing. And Chris Jones, as I said... This is a game that's going to make a decision on what he gets money-wise in this offseason and potential Hall of Fame. And as I talked to Marcus Dash in the Chief Concerns postgame show after the game on Sunday, I think now what what just happened and the way Chris Jones just played in that game, getting in the sack column multiple times in this game, tackles for loss, broken up passes. I think he had eight pressures on Joe Burrow by himself. Not to mention was getting held constantly. Of course. There should have been 11, 12 holding calls. But we, you know, every week. But it was only the Chiefs that got away with those, right? <laughs> um, I think that now Chris Jones has a fast track in the Hall of Fame. I think he has a legitimate shot at getting to the Hall of Fame now. Uh, he's always been a great player, but we've seen great players never make the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Now, because of what he's doing in the biggest stages, and all, he played great against San pro, Francisco three years ago in the Super Bowl. Yeah. Yes. He's played great in big moments. He just never got the stats to back it up. Now he has those stats. Now we've seen him put those numbers together in a big game against a team that many, many people were picking to beat the Chiefs in. With that pressure on him, knowing that this game was going to come down to what him and his defensive line did, I think moments are what make guys. Statistics are what make guys. And I think that he's put himself in that caliber, not to mention the fact has been a key catalyst to the Chiefs getting to three different Super Bowls. He's been a huge... Outside of Patrick Holmes and Travis Kelsey, player-wise, there isn't a single player on this roster over the last three years that has been more vital than Chris yeah. Jones. Facts. Not a single one. So that that's that's the point I wanted to emphasize first and foremost. When it comes to Patrick Mahomes, <laughs> I can't gloat enough about this man. I, I said yesterday on Twitter, I, I put this out there because I know we have the announcement of Tom Brady getting uh, retiring and all the accomplishments and all those things, and and all respect to Tom Brady to what he did in his career. 23 years, most successful player of all time. It's not even close. But I told you guys, and I've been saying it for two years now, there's never been a better quarterback. There's never been somebody that's played the quarterback position better than Patrick Mahomes. And that that, that has never been more true than it is right at this very moment. This man had a high ankle sprain a week before this game against the fifth ranked off fifth ranked defense a defense that of all defenses in the league has given him the most hell over the last year he goes out there losing Juju Smith-Schuster losing Kadarius Tony losing McCole Hardman and still led this team on one leg completed 67% of his passes he had 43 pass attempts 326 yards two touchdowns and a 105 quarterback rating, again, against the fifth-ranked scoring defense without three of his top wide receivers and literally got nothing out of the run game. Got zero. Pacheco, I think, had 10 rushers for like 20 yards. They could not run the ball on the Bengals, and it did not matter. Meanwhile, Joe Burrow, because you know everyone's been talking about how this game was going to come down to you know, well, Joe Burrow wins this game. He's now the face of the NFL. He's the best quarterback in the league. We all heard that. We all saw those conversations being had on the national level, local level, didn't matter. <coughs> Through the first three quarters, despite getting uh, in his playoff career, I'm sorry, Joe Burrow, despite having shaky offensive lines, in the first three quarters of his career, he averages 68 completion percentage, 7.5 yards per pass, 9 touchdowns to 2 interceptions with a 101 quarterback rating. Those are phenomenal numbers. 
But in fourth quarters, when it matters the most, and we all love to talk about that clutch gene and you know Tom Brady's clutch, and that's what get, makes him the GOAT and all these things. I've been hearing a lot of Joe Burrow comparisons. Well, his percentage drops 4%. His yards per pass drops a uh, yard and a half. He's yet to ever throw a fourth-quarter touchdown in, in the, the postseason. postseason. He has zero touchdowns to two interceptions That's crazy. with a 65 quarterback rating. I'm sick and tired of hearing people compare other quarterbacks to Patrick Mahomes. We've had this conversation so many freaking times. The man has just as many Super Bowl appearances in five seasons as Aaron Rodgers and Drew Brees had in 35 combined seasons. And those are two of the ten greatest quarterbacks who have ever lived. And those guys, you can't say, well, it's an era thing. You know, the teams are built. No. Drew Brees retired in 2020. Aaron Rodgers is still playing and just won MVP a year ago. Back-to-back MVPs, I might add. And Patrick Mahomes is already doing more and accomplishing more than those two guys who are, two again, two of the greatest quarterbacks we've ever seen play this game. He's already accomplishing more. And he's about to win his second MVP. Drew Brees never even won an MVP. Joe Burrow has never won an MVP. Josh Allen has never won an MVP. And those are his... Direct competitors. Those are guys that are playing in the same era, that are the same age. I don't want to ever fucking hear it again. Until these two guys in particular, Joe Burrow and, and Josh Allen, the two guys that everybody wants to cluster up with Patrick Mahomes, until those guys can do anything close to what Patrick Mahomes has done to this point of his at early career. At least, I'm, I'm talking about next season. If Josh Allen goes in there and wins an MVP, goes in there and wins a Super Bowl, wins a Super Bowl MVP, we can start having the discussion. Yeah. I still think Patrick's still far above well, him, yeah. but the discussion can finally be had. This is what I always talk about when it comes to Josh Allen and the Bills. People think I just hate on them. No, you gotta go and earn it. Joe Burrow was getting the respect. Did we talk one time about? I can't believe people are picking the Bengals. No, I he, can't believe it. We no the Super Bowl and then went right back to the AFC Championship. And he course. picked the Bengals and we didn't yeah. fight you on it. Why? Because they did it three straight times. <laughs> of course. Joe Burrow has played better than Patrick Mahomes in a large port of their matchups. Yep. But Joe Burrow, when it mattered most in the Super Bowl last year, couldn't get it done. And then this year, when all the chips are on the table, and the Chiefs are supposed to have a down year, all they're the missing all their talks. players. You know, Yeah, Joe Burrow had to rise up. He didn't do it. Yeah. Patrick Mahomes did with one freaking leg, missing three wide receivers and couldn't get anything out of his run game. He almost led the lead. He, he led the team in rushing. Yeah. With 30, one damn leg. 30, yeah, yeah. So I don't want to hear it, guys. I'm done with that discussion. It's not a discussion. I'm not saying it can't ever be a discussion. I'm saying right at this moment, and it has been for the last three years, it can't be a talk. It's Patrick Mahomes and then everybody else. That is it, man. I'm not having the discussion anymore. What I'm looking at is now historics, legacy. Patrick Mahomes is going against guys that are historic. That's why I always make my comparisons now to him and Tom Brady. Because I think right now that's the only quarterback, success-wise, that can even be compared. I know that Peyton Manning has one extra Super Bowl. He has two right now. Patrick Mahomes is about to have another. We'll talk about that next week. But Peyton Manning was nowhere near a great quarterback when he won his second Super Bowl. We all know this. Peyton Manning was broke down. It was a historically great 2015 Broncos defense that led them to that Super Bowl. And just to give you guys some numbers real quick, I'm going to hand this off to Trevor and Eddie because I know they have some thoughts on this game as well. But I talk about the historics of Patrick Mahomes. He is the all-time passer rating leader. He's the all-time passer rating leader in both the regular season and in playoff history. He has the highest completion percentage in postseason history. Highest total yards per game at 326 in postseason history. Highest passing touchdowns per game in, in, in uh, postseason history, almost three per game. And the highest touchdown-interception ratio, which is almost four. It is four and a half to one touchdown-interception ratio in postseason history. 
And I know we talk about this a lot about losing Tyreek Hill this offseason. The final numbers going into this Super Bowl. Patrick Mahomes without Tyreek Hill in his career is now 20-4. and four. The Chiefs are 20-4 and four without Tyreek Hill. He gets 67% of his passes, 313 yards per game, 57 total touchdowns, to only 13 interceptions, 8.2 yards per attempt with a 105 quarterback rating. It's pretty good. MVS was huge in this game. MVS in his previous five games going into the AFC Championship had 101 yards with one touchdown. In the AFC Championship, he had 116 yards and one touchdown. <laughs> so he outdid his previous month in this game. I'm going to give him tons of credit for that. I just wanted to throw that out Biggest there as game well. Of his career. And I look, man. That to me is what separates coaching between Andy Reid and other coaches as well, because he can access out of guys like MBS. I'm I'm still not the biggest MBS guy. I don't think he's that guy. I don't think he can replicate that on a normal basis. But you even saw it with the young cats, like Sky Moore, big punt return, something we've all been afraid of for so long now. Not having any any luck whatsoever has maybe the play of the game, getting the Chiefs in position for Patrick Holmes to run them down the field, get Harrison Butker into get into the into the situation. Like again, Joshua Williams, Jalen Watson, Isaiah Pacheco, because Pacheco I think had a thirty yard uh, receiving uh, a reception in this game as yeah. well. So all these young cats playing at a high level. Harrison Butker, a guy that I've been critical on, that said, hey, look, if he doesn't get this shit together, man, the Chiefs need to start looking for other kickers this offseason. Goes out there, was a 45-yard field goal in the dead winter, it's like four degrees outside, and sinks that bitch. And pretty windy, too. <clears throat> windy conditions, cold conditions. He even said himself that when he kicked it, he didn't know if he had the distance on it. Mm-hmm. He's like, I know I got it high enough. I should hit the net, buddy. but I didn't know. Yeah, but he, he didn't know if he had the distance on it yet. And, and everybody else is celebrating. He still wasn't sure. So if you watch the clip again, you see him still kind of looking like, did that go in? Oh fuck, did that go in? And then he knew, and that was just incredible to see. Travis Kelsey with a bad back, game time decision goes out there and has a touchdown. I think it was a seventy-seven yards reception, receiving eight eight receptions, whatever the case was. Giving him tons of credit for this, but I, I, the guy I want to talk about before I hand it off to Trevor, Trevor Netty, is the 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 GM Brett Veach, and the biggest reason why I want to talk about Brett Veach is because of the fact that I think that a lot of times he gets overlooked, and what this team has been, what they've accomplished for the last four or five years. Because as we know, you know, John Dorsey was a good GM overall. He knew talent. He could draft talent. He he was very very good in the draft. That was that was the thing that we were worried about was. Maybe Brett Veach is going to bring something that's different and, and maybe not as effective as John Dorsey when it comes to being able to draft talent. Because you know as you're trying to build a championship team on a consistent basis, you have to be able to go out there and, 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 and draft guys, go get those mid-level guys, and make them into something special. But that's not what we saw from Brett Veach early on. Well, that's completely changed. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to name you guys a, a list of players that not only are on this roster but made significant uh, contribution to the Chiefs throughout this playoff run so far. Creed Humphrey, Legereus Sneed, Trey Smith, Nick Bolton, Willie Gay Jr., George Karloftis, Trent McDuffie, Isaiah Pacheco, Mike Dana, Juan Thornhill, McCole Hardman, Sky Moore, Jalen Watson, Joshua Williams, Brian Cook, Noah Gray. Those are all guys that Brett Veach has drafted in the last three years, four years. Only one of those players is a first-round pick. Only one. Only three of them are second-round picks. The rest of those names I listed are third-round 
or seventh, third round through seventh rounds. Two of their starting cornerbacks uh, this last week were seventh round picks, sixth and seventh round picks. I apologize. Isaiah Pacheco, seventh round pick. These are guys that are not supposed to have success in the NFL. They're supposed to be jags. They're supposed to be just guys in training camp, and then you cut them, see what happens. These guys are playing legitimate roles on the best team in football, the most successful team in football. Whatever the Chiefs are paying, paying Brett Veach, it's not enough. Because this man's out here making in the Frank Clark contract. We talk about this back and forth about, you know, was it was it worth it? There's no debate about it anymore. Frank Clark was worth every penny. Yep. You know, I, I, I compared him to Robert Ory. Doesn't do shit in the regular season. You don't really hear about Robert Ory back in the days when he played for the Rockets and the Spurs and the Lakers. He he, he was never this this all-time great figure, you know, when it came to, you know, building a team around him. He was always just a guy. <coughs> but then in the playoffs when you needed him the most, when Vladi Divac decides to knock the ball out to the center of the, the court and Robert Ory inbounds it, he knocks the shot down. He did that for the Spurs, did that for the Lakers, did that for the Rockets. Big Shot Bob is what they called him. That's who Frank Clark is. When it comes to the postseason, I will never bet against Frank Clark because he has done what he has done in a very short sample size as well. We hear about Reggie White and Willie McGinnis, two of the greatest pass rushers of all time, both in the postseason and regular season. Those guys have played twice as many playoff games as Frank Clark has at this point, and he's with reaching, he's within striking distance, I think three and a half sacks away from being the all-time sack leader in NFL postseason history. Same, man. He already passed Reggie White. Reggie White might be the greatest pass rusher to ever live. And this man's doing that. This man's putting him up there in the upper echelon of all-time greats. And is Frank Clark an all-time great? No. He ain't making the Hall of Fame. He, I mean, maybe. But postseason success, maybe. he might, yeah. He's still young enough to have another three or four really good seasons if he stays healthy, but it's a maybe. It's not like a foregone conclusion. Yeah. He's not Reggie White. He's not Lawrence Taylor. He's he not Willie yeah. McGinnis. He have the resume as an individual. I, 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 if they win another Super Bowl, I think you might see him like 60% in the Hall of Fame. Success, success does yeah. overshine a lot the of The point is that Frank Clark doesn't have the regular season numbers to yeah. really back that up. It's just right. when whatever it is, the shark gets swimming, man, when the postseason comes around. Blood. I'm yeah. telling you. And you saw how much this game mattered to these guys. The clip that Andy Reid and, and, and Frank Clark had when Frank gives him a big kiss on the side of the face and says, we got another one for you, coach. I love you, man. And they're saying they love each other. And Frank Clark, when Harrison Bucker hits the kick, if you go watch the franchise video, he's on one knee. He's not even looking at the kick. When he just hears the crowd roar, he starts breaking down crying. Travis Kelsey and the way he talked about the fucking mayor from Cincinnati. Yeah. His hometown, Dude, I might add. Frank Clark planted you know, the flag in the end zone. That the shit, flag. That you shit see Carlos, me chilled, They brought bro. Carlos Dunlap on the stage yeah. with Patrick Holmes and Travis Kelsey, a yeah. former Bengal. Like, yeah. this it's, game meant first, yes, everything to this team. Yes. Yeah. This game made everything to these guys. Yep. To see the emotions that carried over after they won this game here in Burrowhead, my ass. Woo! All he, the uh, doubt. Uh, yeah, yeah. All that stuff. Like, it was just incredible. See, this this game made ev- meant everything, and I think this team going into this Super Bowl yeah. are far more confident than they've gone in their previous two Super Bowls. Far more. And I can't wait to talk about that game in a week's time. Trevor, what did you take away from this game? Well, yeah, I just want to say about the, the Eagles game. That game was pretty much over from the start. Um, not much to really add to what you said about that game. Um, it was an ugly one. Um, it was basically just a penalty fest and turnover fest and just sloppy football fest as far as the Niners go, um, and they just got ran all over by the Eagles. Uh, so, yeah, that was uh, not a fun one. But, yeah, as far as the Chiefs game goes, man, listen, the Chiefs weren't losing this game. 
Um, and that was my mentality, and I know that was the mentality of these players. And I, I, that was that was the first thing that came to my mind when I knew who, who we were playing, and I heard all the shit that was being talked from them. Um, and if I'm being honest, the Bengals locker room really screwed their quarterback um, because I like Joe Burrow. I really like if he was if he was my quarterback, I I love that guy just because you you love that quiet confidence. You know, what I mean, you love that about him. He's a swaggy guy. He's got there's not much you can really not like about him. Other than him being a, a possible rival for us at right. this point, we're gonna dislike him just simply off off of you know nature and the the, the, the fandom. But other than that, I, I respect Joe Burrow. I think he's re- really good at what he does. Um, but his teammates, man, they they poked the bear one too many times, and the Chiefs were just simply not going to lose this game. Um, and I think that was the mentality throughout the locker room, defensively and offensively. Uh, we saw it. I mean, this was the this was the the the, the epitome of a true test. How many guys we lost in this game? You know, uh, um, it reminded me of that game. Obviously, we didn't win that game uh, um, back in the day when we lost to the, the Colts and we lost Jamal Charles, Justin Houston. A bunch of guys went down. We had like five or six injuries in that game. We just we just weren't going to win. Yeah. But that was before we had the greatest quarterback to ever touch the football. Um, and that's the biggest difference here to me. Um, to put the, to ha- the actual game-clinching play on a bum leg, all, everything stacked against him. You got Kemp out there making gotta-have-it plays. A guy that's a practice squad, a kind of do-it-all Swiss Army kind of guy. You know, he's our backup long snapper. He's our backup this. He's our backup gunner. He's our backup this and that on special teams. Everything he, he's 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 not even a true receiver in this offense. And he was on the practice squad heading into this game, and uh, we were dropping like flies out there, man. And it was it, it didn't matter because we weren't going to lose this game. Um, and I, 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 there's so many different things you can discuss in this game. You know, guys defensively. Needed to make plays. Chris Jones needed this for his his personal legend and lore of Chris Jones and Sack Nation and you know the possible dynasty setting up here. Uh, if we go win our second Super Bowl in, in four or five years, um, it's gonna be it, it's gonna be an incredible story. Um, and this is this was a pivotal moment um, for this team. This is a, not only a pivotal moment for this team and Patrick Mahomes and guys that have been here and done it already. Chris Jones, these guys, Frank Clark, Travis Kelsey. All those guys showed up, the guys that have been there and showed up. But not only did they show up, it's contagious because the guys that have been here for the first time, these rookies, Jalen Watson, two straight picks in two straight games in the postseason. I mean, this kid is going to have a career, guys. He's going to be – I mean, I, I, this isn't a fluke. That's not a fluky thing. No. He one-handed that one last week and then had the, the wherewithal to know when the ball's in the air this week against Joe Burrow, against a great quarterback, arguably the second-best quarterback in the league at this point behind Patrick Mahomes, picking him off. And then Brian Cook tipping the ball, knowing where the ball's at, knowing that he got burnt on that one previous drive against uh, uh, Jamar Chase, allowing that third and one or that third and long completion. Things like that, and knowing he needed to make up for that. This is, this is, this is such, a, such a good learning moment and such good experience for these young guys. Karloff just getting a sack, and I called that. I said Karloff is going to make a play, whether it's a forced fumble, whether it's something, just getting a sack in this big a game. Uh, uh, against this the competitor that is Joe Burrow, um, you know, and it, I don't think you emphasize enough how big and important MVS was in this game. He, he's never really been the guy that we've really needed to rely on. He's had some moments where he dropped touchdowns in this in, uh, throughout the year, uh, had some cr- critical drops throughout the year, um, but has made some big catches in there, but never really had a big game. Decided to have his biggest game when we need him the most, when we lost Juju, when we lost Kadarius Tony, we didn't have McColl. We were losing everybody. Travis Kelsey's banged up. He goes out there and has six catches for 116 and a touchdown. Yeah, and maybe one of the maybe arguably the biggest offensive player of the game outside of Pat's run, where he reached out and got that first down. Yeah, 
That was incredible. That's a guy that wanted it. That should, and that's not, just, that should not have been challenged. It by shouldn't the way. have been. But, but the fact that he did what he because if he didn't reach out, he wouldn't have got it. Yeah. You know, and that's a risky thing. You know, when, when receivers and running backs try to reach out with the, you know the ball out, that could have got punched out at any time. But he knew he needed it. He knew he wanted it, and that's a, that's been the contagious thing that in this locker room and everybody's the, just the urgency. Um, um, and the feeling of finally being doubted, this team being doubted, is just a comical thing in itself, and we know that, and we know who we are. Patrick Mahomes talking about, you know, everyone was doubting us, everyone was picking against us outside of maybe 5% of the people, you know, Nick Wright being one of those. I don't know if you guys saw the interview on uh, First Things First. That was great. Um, you know, I couldn't, I've couldn't. i never seen Nick gush over somebody on an interview like that before well, in my I life. Am. It was great. Um, yeah, just, just the refusal to lose, the refusal to be um, – Talked down upon the 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 you know Andy Reid you know this was a big game for him because there's no way we're gonna go lose four straight to these guys or anybody you know let alone you know our true competitor here maybe our biggest competitor here and rival and in, in, in the Bengals uh, and possibly for years to come this could be a thing you know this could definitely be a, a a Brady Manning type of situation possibly I know we've heard that a lot and everybody wants that really bad but I think this is a if anybody's gonna be I think this is the team and this is the quarterback that's gonna do that. But man, um, yeah, it was a. It felt it felt like an over my dead body situation on every position player on this team, uh, safeties, cornerbacks, defensive line. Everybody was playing their part. Frank Clark was out there doing his thing. Carl, like I said, Carl Loftus got his sack. Just big, big time guys making big time plays, man. And the, how how crucial this is for the gr- the growth of this youth movement that we have in the secondary. Uh, and and kudos to Brett Veach, man, trusting you know his 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 knowledge and his. His um his um identification of uh, of yeah and his the way he identifies young talent grabbing a running back from Rutgers in the seventh round, you know to be the guy, you know and has been the starting running back for this team for several weeks you know months now, and has been nothing but a heroic player for us as well. Um and just getting him his personal growth. Uh, so much, so many different stories going to this. But I I I was very so proud of MBS man stepping up. Uh, uh, and that throw that I had to him in the end zone was just yeah, one of the best throws I've ever seen in my life. On, on and he threw it off of his bad foot mm-hmm. and lasered that shit only to where the receiver can get it. It's just incredible. So many, I mean, just Patrick Mahomes being Patrick Mahomes, and you talk about moments that makes the greats the greats. You know, this is why you know the Joe Montanas and and the Peyton Mannings and the Tom Brady's that with the late heroic drives in the postseason. You know, and the championships and things and of the, the such. Uh, even John Elway, you know, I mean, we could talk about his, his stats being a little lackluster throughout his career, but his moments were huge in the postseason. The you know his his late game heroics and the, t- putting his team on his back, whether you like that guy or not, that guy had great moments. Patrick Mahomes is not only having great moments; his his statistics just follow up, and, and you can even decide which one is greater than the other. It's just what he's doing right now is so unprecedented. We've really, I know we've talked about it ad nauseum. You said it ad nauseum on this show, but we cannot take this for granted. <laughs> it's just what what we're seeing right now is just something we've never seen before. The pace. Um, I mean, we can talk about the, you know the Tom Brady's first five years and the pace he was on was incredible. Oh, don't worry, I'm about to. Of course, we yeah. I know you'll have that, but what Patrick doing, Patrick Mahomes is doing right now is even better than that because it's followed up with the stats as well. Yeah, Tom Brady's stats, and I know you'll get to that. We're not what Patrick Mahomes' stats are right now. There's something that's just unmatched. Um, and we don't see it stopping anytime soon, which is the scary part. This is supposed to be a down year for us. We were supposed to take a step back. We lost possibly the, the best offensive weapon, dangerous, most dangerous weapon in the NFL, and we're right back in the Super Bowl. It, I mean, I, I, me personally, I'm taking any chance I get to smell these flowers, and they smell great. Um, 
so yeah, as far as this game goes, man, I mean, it was, like, it was a complete team effort. Maybe the most team effort win I think I've seen in the postseason as a Chiefs fan so far was that game. Uh, because it was a true competitor. It was a, it was a true team that could beat us, and I was proving it to beat us three straight times, and we didn't allow the fourth. And it was an over-my-dead-body game from everyone, from the coaches on down, from the GM on down. We proved it. We proved what we needed to do. Uh, everyone was doubting us. The shit was being talked. We overcame every single bit of it. Not only that, but literally physical ailments and injuries. <laughs> Everything that could possibly happen to try to get – I mean, no one else wins this game. No other team against this Bengals team – Drops five plus starters, and 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 a hobbled quarterback with a high ankle sprain, a week separated from a high ankle sprain, goes out there and wins this game. Only Patrick Mahomes, only Andy Reid, only this Chiefs team, only the heart of this team would go out there and win. Nobody else, yeah. nobody else is winning this game. I couldn't be more proud, man. Um, looking forward to the Super Bowl. Well, you guys said everything. I had <laughs> See, we wait for you, Eddie, because you're the one that actually brings the well, and knowledge. You, and, you, yeah. and you chose the Bengals, you know. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, how'd that go? <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, I'm gonna start with the Eagles uh, 49ers. Uh, I mean, there's not much to to bring out of that. Unfortunately, the 49ers were, were riddled with uh, injuries at the quarterback position, which is, in my in my opinion, the most important position there is in a in a football team. Yep. Um, and when four of your quarterbacks go down, it is very, very impossible to 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 win. Yeah. So shout out to to the 49ers. They made it here with the third string quarterback, who was the last pick of the draft. That mm. that that tells you a lot about the coaching out there. Like, well, it showed uh, how important he was when he went down. When he went down, exactly. Yeah. Uh, it, it tells you how much uh, Kyle Shanahan knows his shit. Like that, that's a that's a coach. That you want in your team, regardless of they will what be your back team next is. year, bro. Yeah, so uh, that defense is somehow it, it's always spectacular. Uh, obviously, they were a little bit gassed out because obviously the offense getting those three and outs, those quick turnovers. It, it was just that that defense was put in a bad position, and they still held their own. Yeah. Uh, you can't blame them for like the Eagles dropping over was it thirty one on them. It's just. It was an impossible task for your defense. Uh, they kept the game closed up into the second quarter. Once, uh, was it uh, after the McCaffrey touchdown? Then, then you start seeing that defense start getting a little bit gassed out because the 49ers kept getting those three and outs, three and outs, and it, it was just too much for for that defense. Gotta yeah, just them. just to add to your point, the Eagles or the Niners had eleven penalties for eighty-one yards. Yeah. Had the Eagles had a possession uh, differential of fifteen plus minutes, they had thirty-seven to twenty-two, and yet the Forty Nine ers still held the Eagles' offense to two hundred and sixty-nine yards. Yeah, total. Total. Yeah, th- and there were some turnovers that, that gave the Eagles some good yeah. possessions, and then you know within the twenty. So, but that's including the forty-five yard bomb to Devontae Smith that shouldn't even have counted. Well, exactly. I, I, and if I'm being honest, I think just to add to your point, I think the Niners, a lot of the Niners, including guys like Trent Williams, who I thought were consummate pros i really kind of lost a little respect for them um a lot of those guys lost their cool and lost their head in that game and i think that's when it really started getting out of hand yeah. things yeah. started getting chippy the niners couldn't hang yeah yeah so. uh yeah yeah but uh overall the eagles did what they had to do to win uh they took advantage of the situation yeah. unfortunately it sucked for the 49ers but you gotta do what you gotta do to win you know yeah you gotta do what you gotta do to win and the eagles did just that and congratulations to the eagle on a on a a, a good victory and made making their way to the Super Bowl uh, next week. The Eagles only averaged 3.4 yards per carry in that game too. Yeah. 
Yeah, they, it's, they had yeah. a lot of rushing. Yeah. They had 44 rush yeah. attempts. Yeah, that, Jaylen, there was four rushing touchdowns in that game, or three rushing touchdowns. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. It's crazy. Jalen Hurts did not have a good game. <coughs> they've been, they've been, they've been, it isn't a good playoff. And no, no. The, yeah, the good uh, It's crazy. The they game, scored the most points. They've, they've scored the most points out of everybody in the playoffs. Yeah, and they've and, also had the easiest uh, run. Of course. Yeah, the Giants and then the the now the uh, banged-up 49ers. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, uh, Jalen Hurts did not have a good game. Uh, we can't sit here and say it's like, well, yeah, he was chasing an MVP before he got injured. Yes, I agree with that. I think he was uh, uh, MVP uh, top candidate for, for sure. Uh, but, obviously, the injury kind of cut that, that hope away. But – he has not had like we like we just said. He has not had a great playoffs uh, playoff run. It, it, they're not winning because of him. Yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, and then the the Bengals cheese game. I I had the Bengals to win, but like I said, I, I wasn't opposed to the cheese winning. You know what right. I mean? Like I could very well see the cheese win. Uh, but in the previous three games, they they hadn't showed me much confidence uh, of me picking picking the cheese and and. Uh, being confident about that pick, so I had to go with my gut on that. On that, in, in this game, uh, obviously I was wrong, and I'm thankful for it. Uh, <laughs> but what a game for Patrick Mahomes! Uh, Three twenty-six on a banged-up ankle. Two touchdowns. Yeah, two touchdowns. Yeah. He went. Uh, I think he he went a hundred percent when he threw. Uh, he threw from outside of the pocket uh, in that game, which is crazy to believe. Uh, so yeah, Patrick Mahomes in the pocket, out of the pocket, in my pocket, in your pocket, doesn't matter whose <laughs> pocket it is. He's gonna fucking he's 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 good. Yeah. He's, he's good. all right. He's all right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the way that Patrick Mahomes put this team on his back, Patrick Mahomes carried this team during this game. We lost Willie Gay like uh, was it the third quarter? Yeah, third early, quarter. Early third, we, lost, really we lost Sneed too in the early. Sneed was the first, the first that series quarter. Yeah, I, oh yeah, the I, first was, I was nervous when he went down, dude. It I was, was it was literally like the second or third play of the game. Yeah. Yeah. So with Sneed going down, I was a little concerned, but I was like, that was huge. Ah, you know what? If we keep we get that pressure on on Joe Burrow, I, I think our rookies will be just fine. They'll be able to survive. Yeah, uh, indeed. But they yeah, will. I'm with you. I, 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 I did get a little bit nervous, oh, yeah. but. That off that defensive line, our defensive line was phenomenal. You couldn't ha- ask for a, a better game from them. It, it, it's by far, I think, their best game of the season, and it came in the playoffs. Uh, Frank Clark, my God, playoff Frank Clark is is un- undefeated. He's relentless. That guy's <laughs> he's, relentless in he's, the postseason. Man, he's yep. insane. And, and every time he smells blood, he you can tell he gets fired up. He gets fired up, and he starts he starts seeing it. And this game, we we saw what uh, the Bills couldn't do uh, against the Bengals. Uh, that banged up offensive line finally caught up to them. It caught up to them, and <coughs> and KC had four sacks in the first half. Mm-hmm. It, it, so KC KC was putting the pressure on Burrow. Uh, obviously, the Bengals didn't couldn't handle it a lot of the times. Uh, they did score some points. Uh, they did keep the game closed, but. There were some mistakes there. Uh, like there was a, we got the first turnover off of Joe Burrow. We didn't do shit with that. We just punted the ball right back to them. The NFL's reading. <laughs> yeah. Can I give you would a it, stat real quick about Frank Clark? Because you mentioned him. Yep. In his last ten post or t- in his last eleven postseason games, he has ten and a half sacks. 
Wow, that's like a game. That's crazy. Yeah. So imagine if he played uh, do that seventeen game schedule. That's Tony right under six, That's under seventeen sacks. If he, if he, if he has a couple more postseason runs like that, he could definitely make the Hall of Fame. Like he had. Uh, was he? Had, he had five games in Seattle, uh, five postseason games. He had three sacks in those games, which is good. Yeah, and then <clears> three, <throat> three, three, two. Uh, uh, he's had eleven games since joining Kansas City in twenty nineteen. He had five sacks in twenty nineteen, three sacks in twenty twenty, zero sacks last year, which was a bad, fruitful year. And he's and also two and a half this year. And he's also got multiple, multiple post game legendary post game interviews. Yes. You know what I mean? yes. so James those, Palmer's raking those the yeah, dude, James Palmer's <laughs> loaded those for days. Yes. That's content. That's for, historic. Yeah. He's content. a soundbite waiting to happen. He's so great, man. It, it, yeah, the, this second our secondary full of rookies was amazing. They better be it, taken seriously, dude, man. We got we got just two wait picks till next year there. and the years to come. Yeah, you, guys you guys remember? You guys remember we talked in the draft? Remember after the draft, I talked about how I was the guy that was wanting very much the Chiefs to build their new defense, the new nucleus through the pass rush. But I understood where Brett Veach was going was because he, he you know, almost felt like that 20, 2011 to 2014, 15 Seahawks where they built their defense through the secondary. They weren't getting a ton of sacks, but they had a really locked down secondary. Well, zone, That's what the Chiefs are now it. doing. And, and the best part about it is the Chiefs are still getting sacks. Because they have an historic player in Chris Jones still in the middle of their defense, so and it's this, incredible to see, man. And this uh, this offseason week very well could see a a, a big a defensive line kind of draft class for for the Chiefs. Oh yeah, I mean, they're, they're having great picks. So yeah. so it's gonna it's gonna be fun. Uh, but yeah, this offense was uh, the way he got banged up throughout the game, and the way Patrick Mahomes made it seem like nothing was wrong. It's crazy. It, it's just crazy. Uh, when you have your uh, one of your receivers is uh, has more tackles than uh, than hmm. catches. Yeah, twenty four tackles. I think four or five tell, catches in his career tells you a lot. Twenty four tackles. To, yeah. And he got a, he cru- made a and he got a, yeah. It was a crucial. Third it was down. a third down crucial yep. first down for the Chiefs in that in that drive. Yep. So it that's way, coaching though, man. The, the that's way mentality. every player stepped up was unbelievable. Yeah. And I was just reading uh, yesterday on uh, on Twitter. About how Sky Moore and Eric Bieniemy got into it, uh, and on the sidelines talk about how uh, just call the personnel, whatever, and I'll do, I'll make the play or whatever. That's what Sky Moore was yelling at Eric mm-hmm. Bieniemy. Uh, just call the, the the play and I'll or the personnel. Gotta love and, that out of Sky, do it. man. So he was fired up and he he wanted to be because it was crucial to have him be part of the game, especially with Juju going down, <laughs> Kadarius yeah. Tony going down. On NBS, NBS had a better game, both T. Higgins oh and Jamar Chase. Oh my God. He had a better game than both NBS of them. That's crazy. Went the fuck off. If it wasn't for two 50 50 balls to Jamar yes. Chase and T. Higgins, yeah. they did nothing, nothing in that oh, yeah. game. Yeah. Neither, neither one of them were like, over 100 that's yards. What, that's what the Bengals' and, offense became. Yeah. Is Joe Burrow just throw it up and hope for the best. The yeah. That's what it became. Yeah, it's the touchdown. Yeah. The, the touchdown that he fucking they showed got. Yeah. They showed that they showed the all 22. Seth Kaiser, congratulations to him because he's one of the best at breaking down film. Seth Kaiser talked about it, about how you look at the film from the first game in Week 13 between these two teams in this game, Spags did not show them a fucking thing in yeah, Week 13. Yeah, Chris Jones on the outside. Yeah, yeah. You, you saw Carlos Dunlap moving all over the damn yeah. offensive Loftus line. Like, Karloft is their move. They, they had a completely different yeah, scheme. That cover two was constant. Yeah. The cover two was constant. Yeah. Zach Taylor did not know how to react to, no. to that defense. He didn't He didn't have an answer and for it. And no offense to and, Lou Anamuro uh, or Anarumo. Anarumo. I said it right. Yes. Yep. But Patrick Mahomes was playing chess while he was playing checkers, yeah. man. And you saw and it. You said it. Two, baby. two big 50-50 balls. If you take those two big 50-50 balls, you're looking at taking away 14 points out of that game. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it, just think how how crucial those those four – how lucky. They're, they're pretty – 
it was a double man coverage for for Jamar Chase, uh, Jamar Chase, uh, and he somehow fucking came down with it. I don't know how the fuck he did it. He's he's a top fucking. He's, he's amazing. Ar- he's he's amazing. arguably yeah. the he's arguably number one right you now. You can make that case. Uh, so, yeah, the 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 way this offense, MVS, my God, where was this MVS with it, Aaron Rodgers? That, but that's what you want, though. <laughs> yeah, he's you know he's the third, fourth yeah. receiver on a weekly basis. But when you and need him the most, he showed up. up. That's all. And, you, that's all you can ask he, for. Uh, I didn't. I didn't uh, see any like actual true drops from MVS. MVS made every. Oh, he, he made that. He made that catch. Snag. Yeah, where he, was, fucking, he was falling back or whatever you, to get man. that ball. He That's, had over 116 receiving yards, yep. a, a touchdown, leading receiver uh, for the game. It was insane. MVS. I, I, do that every fucking playoffs, and I'm okay with it. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> well, sure. the best I mean, part about you. this game that we didn't even talk about yet was the fact that the Chiefs won the turnover battle. Mm-hmm. What did we talk we about? Had four picks. You have one. one less, one fewer mistake, and they win the AFC Championship last year. Mm-hmm. You have one fewer mistake this time around. You're going to win the AFC it's Championship this year. They lost. They won the turnover battle two to one. Yeah. Joe, Joe Burrow had one extra turnover than the Chiefs. Well, and think about one it. turnover. Think, but, well, think about it. He should, he should have four picks because that one was taken off the board because we did hit him a little early. Uh, Brian Cook hit him a little early, yeah, and that, that ball was tipped and in, in intercepted. Yeah, so that was, that so was that one got taken off the board. Yeah. And then McDuffie straight up dropped one. Yeah. yeah. Remember? Yeah. That one was right in his hands. Yep. And he dropped it That's early in the game. We should have had four interceptions in this game, guys. And, and obviously, and that turnover that we that we gave them, yeah, it was, is, a it was just play Patrick Mahomes. And I want to give I want to give a, a Chiefs uh, Twitter account some credit here. It's Chiefzilla twenty twenty. Um, he said, and this is the best part because we have to address it real quick. Mm-hmm. Everyone's trying to say this game was was uh, influenced by the refs. That's the best. That I love it was it. rigged. Yeah, yeah. Even dipshits like Doug Gottlieb are out there saying this stuff. And he's still trying to double down, and it. it's getting real pathetic and sad I don't to know watch. Who that is. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but if you look at it like this, well, he stole a lot of people's card information and wore his ba- uh, oh, shorts on backwards yeah, against, yeah, against yeah. Kansas. Okay. I remember that story. But this is the this is the tweet that puts all this to bed. Besides the you know actual footage, mm. uh, look at any stat you want from the game, any of them: third down percentage, red zone percentage, total yards, yards per play, time of possession, turn. That's Facts. the point in all this. See, Facts, this bro. is why, and I know this sounds like like special pleading here as, as a Chiefs fan who has been pissed off about officiating throughout this year and the last couple of years, but the difference in this and why I feel that some of the gripes we've had have been valid is because of the fact that historical differences and the officiating between two teams and whoever it is in the Chiefs with one in particular official is a problem. Like Carl Sheffers, who's going to be officiating the, the Super Bowl? You're damn right that makes me nervous because historically Carl Sheffers has been bad against the Chiefs. And when it comes to the Bengals and Chiefs, if you look at the AFC Championship in, this, in, the, in the game before that in the regular season when the Chiefs lost 34-31, to the, the discrepancy of penalties was it was absurd, and the Chiefs had multiple leads in those games. So it would have been one thing if the Bengals would have had like a 14-3 to lead in this game, and then all of a sudden really bad calls started to come down the pipeline, and the Chiefs capitalize on them and start getting some big touchdowns off of that on a, like a turnover or a non-catch or something like that. I can understand where the Bengals are coming from because that's happened to us many times. But like this tweet said, the Bengals never once led this game. And from the beginning, the Chiefs were shutting the Bengals down. In the first nine plays of this game for the Bengals offense, the Chiefs had four sacks. Four. Mm -hmm. In the first nine plays. So you can't sit here and say it was the officials. Were they bad in this game? Yeah. 
But you know also they're bad, bad for? The sides. Chiefs. Yeah. There's yeah. videos of Frank Nelson literally getting the full Nelson. They took a touchdown off he's, the board. He's trying to run away from a, uh, an offensive lineman. The whole offensive lineman's holding him under his arms by yeah. his back of his and head. They took Pacheco's touchdown off the board they with a terrible his, holding call. a terrible holding call that happens every play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you really want to bitch about this stuff, let's bitch about it. Let's talk about both teams going through this shit. I just needed to address it because that was something that needed to be discussed. And also, I want to talk about this before we move to the Eddie Hour. Unless, Eddie, of course, you had something else you wanted to add to the takeaway that you had from this game. Uh, what did you say? No, do you have any more? No, you no, no. To, okay. No. I didn't want to just step on your toes here. No, no, no. I want to, I want to bring up some from – because, you know, historic context is now something that we needs to be addressed. And Patrick Mahomes is now putting himself in that. I just want to talk about this really quick. So, you guys know me. I'm obsessed with numbers. I'm always crunching. I'm always tweeting them out there. You can follow me at Lance's Spoken, by the way. But – through 13 career postseason games, because Trevor was talking about the first five years, Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes had exactly 13 postseason games to this point through five years of their career. Patrick Mahomes completes 67% of his passes, averages 300 yards per game, has 37 total touchdowns to seven interceptions, 7.9 yards per attempt with a 106 quarterback rating. Tom Brady in that same amount of games in the postseason – Completed 6% fewer passes, averages 70 yards less per game, had 16 fewer touchdowns, one more interception, a yard, 1.3 yards per less per attempt, with an 87 quarterback rating, which is almost 30 points lower than what Patrick Mahomes is right now. In other words, Tom Brady being the most successful player of all time, give him his credit for what it's due. But we saw those games. We know the numbers. The difference in value between these two players in their first five to six years and uh, in, in their NFL careers could not be more different. Tom Brady is an all-time great quarterback. He had a 23-year run. He won seven Super Bowls. He went to, what, se- uh, 10? Mm-hmm. Three-time MVP. <clears throat> all the numbers, all the accolades. Incredible, unprecedented career. No one can compare. To that, to those accomplishments, even won a Super Bowl without throwing a touchdown. That's incredible. I'm just kidding. Sorry, but I mean, he won Super Bowl. <laughs> like, let, let, let's contextualize this shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He won a Super Bowl MVP his first year as a starter when he threw for 145 yards and a touchdown. That was a Super Bowl MVP. Mm-hmm. He won multiple Super Bowls in his career when they held the number one offense in the NFL to less than 20 points in 2001 against the best show on turf. Mm-hmm. They held them to 17 points. Brady had one touchdown that game. He won MVP. And then in 2018 against the Rams, the same franchise, ironically, the Rams actually that year, I'm sorry, were the second overall scoring offense behind the Chiefs, (coughs) who scored 31 against the Patriots the week before, or the game before, held them to three points. That was was Tom Brady who scored 13 points. He didn't have a touchdown in the game, by the way. That those are we're counting that for an historic context for the player. No, see, this is why I go to the numbers. This is why I go by pace of play. Patrick Mahomes is already at this time of career a better player than Tom Brady, and I've been saying that, and I've been saying that. And what's awesome about it is we're finally starting to hear the national guys echoing my sentiments. We heard Colin Cowherd say it this week. Why do we have to wait around? If we know somebody's better than somebody else, we can just say it. This has been the whole confusion for me with LeBron James. He's clearly been better than anybody else, but nobody wants to talk about it because we want to cling on to our guys from our past. We want to hold these people to the highest the highest bidder because of the fact that we like them better. Tom Brady is the more accomplished player, but yep. Bill Russell was more accomplished than Michael Jordan. Yep. And we all know Michael was clearly a better basketball player than and Bill Kareem, Russell. Kareem, too. Had exactly. more accolades and everything, yeah. So the accolades don't make the player. Tom Brady is Bill Russell. 
the most successful player that has ever lived in his respected sport. But there have been better players that have played at a higher level and have been more productive than Tom Brady and Bill Russell. That's where Patrick Mahomes, that's where LeBron James, that's where Michael Jordan come into play. We have never seen, like Trevor said, like I've been saying over and over again, we have never seen a player play at this magnitude at the quarterback position like Patrick Mahomes has. And he continues. And the best part about it is he's not even in his prime yet. His This next season and the next four or five after that are going to be his prime years. From age 28 to about 32, 33 is going to be the best years of Patrick Mahomes' career. That is so exciting to think about. Look at Tom Brady. Yeah. For, it took him six, seven seasons to finally throw for 4,000 yards. It t- he was 29 years old when he had that 5,000-yard, 50-touchdown season. Mm-hmm. He was 29. We're two years from that. Patrick Mahomes has already done that multiple times. So this is this is why I get so excited about these things, and this is why I love talking about historic context because I don't even – no offense to Joe Burrow, no offense to Josh Allen, but I'm not even worried about those cats. I'm looking at Patrick Mahomes versus the greatest ever, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady. Joe Montana, all those guys that people want to talk about. He's right there with all those guys. And in my opinion, he's been better than all of them already. And we and, and his he's accomplishments will talented. come later. He's definitely more talented. He's yes. not even a question. But once the once the accomplishments start to take shape, if he if he ends up winning this next Super Bowl, he would have as many Super Bowl championships as Peyton Manning had in his first five seasons. That's the thing we have to talk about. For, for, first four seasons, I apologize. Because in the second season as a starter, Tom Brady missed the playoffs entirely. We all know, since Patrick Mahomes has taken over, they haven't not been in the AFC Championship and hosting it, by the way. So, Patrick Mahomes is the first quarterback ever to not only host five consecutive conference championships uh, to start a career, obviously. He's the third to ever do it. Well, the third to ever play in five consecutive, but the first to ever host mm-hmm. five consecutive. Did that to start his career. He's also the only quarterback in NFL history to win multiple playoff games in his first five seasons each time. The, what he's doing, he's rewriting the books, guys. He's 50 yards away from passing Kurt Warner for 10th all-time in postseason yards. I think he's five touchdowns away from passing Ben Roethlisberger for 7th all-time in postseason touchdowns. He's 27. Mm-hmm. Like it's, I feel so good for what's happening, man, and what, what's about to start happening because we got years and years left of this to discuss, guys, and break down. But let's get to the Eddie Hour, man. Let's, let's talk about what we got going on in the Eddie Hour. I know we have a ton to discuss across the world of sports, both in the NFL, NBA, MMA, a lot going on. But, Eddie, this is your time, brother. You take over. What's in the Eddie Hour this week? All right, let's go straight to the NBA, boys. Let's do it. Uh, let's talk about Dylan Brooks. Thoughts? <clears throat> go ahead yeah. let the people know what happened. Okay, uh, there was a, a little scuffle that happened. Uh, I think it was Donovan Mitchell yesterday or the day before. It was the day before. The day before, Friday, uh, yeah. Thursday. Yeah. Uh, they were playing uh, – Obviously, they blocked Dylan Brooks' shot. He fell to the ground. Uh, Donovan, uh, who, Donovan, Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell was standing right next, right right out of bounds. Yeah. Uh, D- uh, Dylan Brooks kind of like looks at him and kind of spins around and hits him with the elbow. He full extends his arm. Yeah, full extends his arm and hits him in the dick. Yeah. Uh, this throws Donovan Mitchell down to the floor. He grabs the ball, tosses it to Dylan Brooks, and shit pops off after that. So Yeah, my thoughts on it are Dylan Brooks is an absolute <clears throat> asshole. Yeah. This guy's a dirty player. And He's this, a goon. This is the reason why Shannon Sharp had the problems he had with him. Not to ring that whole conversation back Let's up. Let's not do that. But but this is this is what it, it, it's not a mystery. We all know what Dylan Brooks has been since he joined this league. Yeah. Since this guy got even back in his college days, they talked about how many times Roy Williams had to jump his ass. Our coach K, I'm sorry, Coach K had to jump his ass about stuff that he was doing out there on the court. He's dirty as fuck. He's a dirty player, man. And. This whole thing with Donovan Mitchell is mostly because of the fact of what Donovan Mitchell said in the press conference. But I've been cooking his ass for years now. Every time he gets on, every time he matches up with me, I cook him. 
This is what Dylan Brooks does, does to guys that he knows he's not on the same tier with and can't contend with. That's why Shannon Sharp said he can't guard LeBron James. Because he can't. And he can't guard Donovan Mitchell, who's quickly becoming one of the best scorers we've seen in the last 20 years. Oh boy, this guy 70 is, points this year. And he's averaging, I think he's second in the league in scoring this year. Like, he's absolutely on Luka. a tear. Yeah. And Dylan Brooks knows it. And that shot, I don't care what anybody has to say differently. If your opinion is is of the belief that Dylan Brooks wasn't 100 in in the right in the mindset of knowing what he was doing in that situation, your 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 opinion is invalid oh, because yeah. he 100 knew what he was doing in that moment. You saw him roll back, knows what he's doing, and his arm just perfectly hits Donovan right in the dick. No mm-hmm. way, that was a dirty ass play. Donovan Mitchell had every right. In my opinion, I know this will never happen, but I wish hockey rules would come into play every once in a while in the NBA. Because we see guys get separated all the time, and you know they want to throw down so Thanks, bad. Hey, did you see Austin Rivers last night? I saw that. He's been uh, getting yeah. chippy lately. Yeah. Things been getting really chippy. He went against that whole freaking Mo Bamba bro sideline, <laughs> but uh, he went against the whole bench. But what I would love to see in moments like that, when a dude hits another man in his in his in his area, yeah, let him scrap a little bit. Yeah, every stand back, give them space, yeah. middle of the court, and let them throw down. That's why I like baseball. I'm so serious. Baseball will kind of let you get a few blows. They in let them police and then they separate yes. everybody. Yeah. Then they separate because they know that this. They baseball need to get this stuff best, out. Yeah. They need to get this stuff out. Yeah. The problem is, is that all the all the fans are so close to the court, they can't have it because it'll spill over and fall into the arena, and yeah. then you have real oh, problems. We've seen that before. Like, so obviously, I know this won't happen. Malice but selfishly, palace. selfishly, yeah. I almost wish it was like WWE style, where there's like a separate. In- Room, they can go into that area and just like yeah. the cameras are flying, and they're just by themselves, just throwing down. Yeah, I wish that they would let these guys get that stuff. Gortat brought that up years ago about oh, yeah, how yeah. he wishes they would let them fight yeah. because some of these dudes want to act tough until they got to be tough. Yeah, Donald Mitchell was all about that man. You could tell LeDon Brooks was not prepared for that shit. He got thrown to the ground. His own co- his own coach tackled him. Yeah. It was hilarious. It was yeah. a funny situation, but d- d- this does not shock me whatsoever. Dylan Brooks is just that's just who he is, an instigator or a dirty asshole, man. That's what he is. Yeah, he's a, he's a Scott Pollard. He's a goon, albeit he is a talented player. I think he's a, actually a solid player in the league, a very good rotational two-way player. Um, but yeah, as this is this is who he is. This is this is his role. This is what it's always been. And honestly, it's his. That's kind of the mentality of this Grizzlies team. They're a bunch of chippy guys. They talk a lot of shit, and they haven't won anything. I, even though I do like them, and I, I really, really respect their coach. I think he's one of the better young coaches in this league. Uh, and I absolutely admire John Morant and his his drive. I think he's one of the most exciting, if not the most overall exciting players in this league to watch on a weekly basis. Um, but, yeah, this team as a whole, a lot of these guys are like this, though. They, uh, this is why you tend to see a lot of these games between them and whoever it is get chippy because these guys just talk a lot. Uh, but Dylan is is the uh, kind of the, he's the he's the head of all that. Um, but yeah, we've seen him get into it numerous players. Nobody really likes him. Um, he he's kind of like the Jake Paul of the NBA, if you will. He's like this kind of that goony type of guy. So every team kind of has not every team, but a lot of teams have that kind of guy. You know, the, the Joking Moas and the Scott Pollards and the Draymond Greens and. You know, some of them are really good players. Some of them are just kind of just strictly that, just to go and get into someone's head. He's kind of the in-between. He's a solid player. Not great, but he's a solid player. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that 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 a grown man hitting another grown man in the privates, and we saw that uh, uh, with Draymond Green in the finals against LeBron James. You know, some, you, you want to get another grown man triggered, bro, in the heat of the moment. You, 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 you know, give him the little tap on the Johnson. That's, that's a no-no. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's just something you don't do in the heat of the moment like that when things are already tense. That's that's crossing line. That's 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 how fights definitely ensue, um, and that's what happened. And um, you know, I, I, any man is within his right to start throwing blows with someone who does that to them, and especially, you know, when we're all supposed to be prof- professionals here in this game. Uh, yeah, Dylan Brooks is a chump. It is what it is. Um, but 
That ain't, trust me, they ain't gonna stop. They ain't gonna be the last of us. Suspensions and fines ain't gonna stop that guy from being what he is in his DNA. So it is what it is. But Donovan Mitchell was <laughs> ready to put that man down. Um, but it is what it is. I think Donovan Mitchell just got fined a pretty hefty fine, uh, but he didn't get suspended. Um, Dylan did because obviously he was the one to to start that and hit him there. So it's pretty lame. LeBron James is on the verge of making history. Uh, thoughts on that? I'm gonna be real with you. Um, Trevor and I, I don't know Trevor will speak for himself, but since I was probably 14, I want to say, LeBron's been in the limelight. 13, probably. I'd say I was probably 13 years old when I first heard the name LeBron James. And I used to watch, YouTube wasn't even around yet, but I remember there'd be like internet clips of, of this kid from Lower Mary, or not Lower Mary, and that was Kobe, but uh, St. Mance and St. Mary's. Yep. Um, where this guy was just a freak, just dunking all over everybody. And I'm like, oh, my God, this dude's going to be fun to watch him day because he's going to make the league. And then I see him get drafted number one to his home city or right around Akron to Cleveland, Ohio. And I'm thinking, man, this will be fun to watch. And you see this guy just carry teams and carry teams. And I'm thinking, man, this dude's going to be probably one of the best players ever. And then by 2016, I said, this is the greatest player I've ever seen in my life. Because I got to see a lot of Michael Jordan's career. Did not get to see really any of Kareem's uh, career. Uh, but I've seen LeBron's entire career. And even with how much I praise him for what he's done with his body and how much he's accomplished in his NBA career and what he's been able to do even in year 20, which is just stupid to be able to play this high of a level at 38 years old with all those minutes. He's played the most minutes in NBA history, and it doesn't, like, it doesn't look like he's slowing down at all. The dude is still playing as a – he's one of the three – I think, in my opinion, he's still one of the three to five best players in the NBA. And I don't even think it's really debatable. I mean, his numbers speak for themselves. It's insane. But I'll be honest with you guys. I didn't think LeBron would get this record because of the fact that he was such a gifted passer that I was thinking, as he gets older, you know, because I was projecting like back in like 2011, 2012 when he was still in his prime years – I was projecting that LeBron would end up being a guy that was averaging like 18 to 20 points a game, and he would finish with like 34, 35,000 points, which is obviously in the top five of all time. But he would have such high, high assist numbers, that would be more of the focus of, you know, can he catch John Stockton? You know, and I thought that would be just an insane thing to think about, being top five in both. Mm -hmm. Well, now he is top five in both. And he's going to have the all-time scoring record, but the best part about it is... It's not going to finish because our guy Mark Gunnels uh, proposed a question yesterday on Twitter and Facebook. He asked it, who do you think is the next guy that can get LeBron's record when he sets it? And he said my vote would be Luka. And although that's a great choice and everything. Longevity though, man. Guys, it's not going to happen. Yeah. Because here's the thing. LeBron's not going anywhere. It's not like this is his, his tour, his farewell tour, where wherever he ends up with this year, that's it. Ends with up like you know 30, 38,500 or 38,600, something like that, where it's still kind of close. He's going to end his career with 42, 43, 44,000 points. Yeah. Which means that a, a record that sat, that sat for almost 40 years, or did set for 40 years, didn't get reached until right now. You extend that by five, 6,000 more points? Luka Doncic is 23 years old right now, okay? He averages 27 points per game. He would have to do that for an additional 19 more seasons to just get to 43,000 points. Mm -hmm. Luka Doncic, as great as he is, is not doing that. 
Luka Doncic is not the athlete LeBron James is. He's probably the best guess. He's the but. as current players right now. Yes, that's probably the best yeah. guess. But Luka's not LeBron James. Because what makes LeBron great at this length of his career is his athletic longevity. Mm -hmm. Being able to still go up there and rock the rim. Being able to make the moves he makes and the IQ with physical ability. Luka's in a great... I think Luka's going to play 15, 16, 17 years. I can definitely see that. I don't think Luka's playing 22, 23 seasons. And that's what he's going to... Because this is, what, fifth or sixth year? Fifth or sixth year, he's got to play 24 seasons. And average 27 a game just to get to 43. And there's no guarantee LeBron doesn't get to 44, 45. So even if Luka does that, that doesn't mean he's going to get the all-time scoring record. Yeah. What I'm basically saying is this. LeBron has separated himself from every single other player in the history of the NBA because no all-time scorer in the top five is even in the top 50 in assists. And all the other guys in the assist column that are in the top five are in the 100s of the all-time scoring leaders. LeBron's in the top five in both. Went to eight straight NBA Finals. Won four NBA titles to this point. I think he's still going to win another one in his career, but that's just me. We can talk about that in a second. But there's no one that's ever done what he's done for this long. He's had 19 consecutive seasons of averaging at least 25 points. Michael Jordan only had 11 seasons total where he averaged 25 points. Think about how insane that is. To think. Just think about that for a second. The greatest scorer ever that people say, which is fair. I'll give you that if you say Michael's the greatest scorer ever. But Michael Jordan now is fourth place all-time in scoring. So you have to just go to averages. And when averages play, you have to start looking at longevity and say, well, LeBron did play seven, eight, nine more years, and he averaged just as many points or just at it, better score. Yeah. So but my thoughts on this, Eddie, is I didn't – the biggest LeBron fan you know, two biggest LeBron fans you know, I didn't see it happening 10, 12 years ago. But it's happening, and, and, and the dude's going to own all the records, and I just, I'm just i flabbergasted he's been able to do this for as long as he has. I didn't think it was going to happen. I thought LeBron was going to play like 17, 18 seasons and then be done. I didn't think his body was going to hold up this long, especially with all the playoff minutes he's played. But he doesn't look like he's going mean, to. Now it would shock me more if he retired within the next two years than if he played another five. I think he's going to play another four or five years. Well, and he's definitely going to play with his son. You know, yeah. and, that, and that's the goal. And when LeBron sets a goal and makes it a publicly known thing that he's this is what he wants to do, He's gonna play alongside his son, and I think that'll probably be his 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 you know his ride off into the sunset once he introduces. I mean, it's gonna be the greatest story ever told in the NBA. LeBron James is going to be the greatest story ever told in the NBA because he was he was anointed at the youngest of age, coming out of high school as the king. He was anointed as the chosen one, mm -hmm. all these things, and he's done nothing but surpass right the hype of that. He's been nothing but better than that. You know what I mean, and and the fact that he's going to end his this this incredible career, the greatest career ever in the NBA, statistically accomplishments, all these things, MVPs, blah blah blah, you name it, and he's going to end his career introducing his son into the league and passing the torch to his. It's the most poetic thing I think I've ever gonna I'm, we're ever gonna see in sports. Yeah, how how this is going to happen, and he's going to play outside of knock on wood, outside of some catastrophic injury that keeps him from actually doing that goal and reaching that goal. It's gonna be the greatest thing I've ever I'm ever gonna witness seeing him pass his son pass it on to Bronny. It's gonna be one of the coolest things I'm ever gonna see. Maybe the coolest thing, and I'm looking forward to that. But I, I actually did expect LeBron to get here, and I think I've read this stat on the show before, but I want to read it again. <clears throat> There's three uh, bullet bullet points here. LeBron will pass Kareem in fewer games, shot attempts, and minutes. LeBron has played in 13 of the 20 slowest pace years since 1974, while Kareem played in all 15 of the fastest pace. Yeah. 
And then the third one. If you turn all of LeBron's three-point shots or three-point made shots into two-point made shots, the first point is still true. He passes Kareem in fewer shots, fewer games, and minutes. <laughs> that is absurd. Absolutely absurd. If you turn, because everyone wants to talk about it, everyone immediately wants to go to the three-point because Kareem wasn't a three-point shooter. LeBron has become a, a solid three-point shooter as his career has gone on. It was always a decent three-point shooter, but definitely has gotten better as the years have gone on. He's attempted more as the years have gone on because obviously he doesn't have the legs that he once had. Still, you know, a guy that's averaging, you know, 30-plus at, at points of this season at 38 years old, which is absolutely stupid and unprecedented. But, I mean, what what about LeBron and his career is un, not unprecedented? The guy has blazed a new trail and is setting – Records that will never be broken, most likely, in this league. And as much as I love Luka, he's the only guy that you could probably say has the pace to maybe possibly be an idealistic guy that can get there, but he's not going to. Luka, as much as I love Luka, he just doesn't have the frame for it. He's not the athletic frame that LeBron is. LeBron is just a, a freak of nature and always has been. Um, and Luka has the this, this scoring ability. I think Luka is the brightest and smartest player in the, today's league. Um, but I just don't think he's that guy that's going to last that long. Luca just, to, to me, to me, just doesn't. Unless Luca goes through some transition where he gets his body and he becomes extremely fit, which could definitely happen. He's still a young man. He's still growing, dude. He's 23, 24 years old. Like, this kid is still so much more potential that's untapped. Um, so he's the only guy I think that has that ability to possibly, you know, with him having multiple 60 point games already in his career and things like that. He's the only guy I think that can do that. <clears throat> but. LeBron, I mean, like I said, dude, those those stats alone kind of are my point in, in totality. There, I don't have to, much else to say there between him and Kareem. You know how he how he's reaching this compared to how Kareem reached this. It took that much more games, that, that much more shot attempts, three pointers. You, you take him in or you take him out, doesn't matter. LeBron's passing regardless of whether his threes or twos or threes. It doesn't matter. That's an incredible stat in itself. Um, just like he passed, in all due respect, I love Michael, Michael Jordan. It was one of my f favorite career players. I mean, I had a, we had Bulls blankets. We had Bulls memorabilia through our house. all the new shoes. We loved him. Yeah, we loved him. I still love MJ. One of the greatest competitors to ever play sports, period. But the fact that LeBron passed him in scoring the same way he's passing Kareem on less shots, less games, less <coughs> less minutes, in, in, a, in a slower pace environment, as a pass first player. Against better competition. Way better competition. That's not even an argument anymore. The, the, the old heads that want to talk about the 90s being a tougher... It's not even close to talent that LeBron has played against. It's not even... Draymond Green himself has come out and talked about that. Yep. Well, he, he would he know. Never, he, he never beat three 70, Hall of Fame teammates. He never beat the, the greatest team ever assembled in the Warriors' 73-win team. Right. Came back from down three games in a series in the finals. Unprecedented. No one's expecting you to succeed at that point. But he did it. Yep. He overcame the, the craziest of, of odds in sports. Yep. He did that. With his leadership, so LeBron James is the greatest basketball player to ever play this game. You can you can have an argument for 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 Michael Jordan or Kareem or you know some people have other players in there. That's fine. You have, you're entitled to your opinion, but facts are the facts. Numbers are the numbers. You can talk about team accomplishments all you want, but the guy did it in the most talented era, and he played through <laughs> two different eras, which and is it, crazy. And it would be one thing if like LeBron's like final like six, seven seasons, like we've seen a lot of superstar players where they just really become a role player, just kinda compile numbers, their averages all drop like Shaq. Yeah. Shaq's like final six seasons, KG's final like five seasons, they weren't great players anymore. They were just kinda like 
It became hanging around and yeah, kind of yeah. compiling a little bit. Carl Malone yes. yeah, in the Lakers like, days. Yeah, yeah. They, they were compilers. LeBron mm-hmm. is still at the top of the game. He's an MVP candidate. Exactly. I mean, I know the record doesn't show well, that, but uh, things can change to make that an actual case. We can talk about that in a minute. For sure, for sure. But the point is, is that yes, it'd be one thing if that was the case if LeBron was just hanging on for dear life. And listen, and listen, I, still, I know, <laughs> I know people, I know people that don't like LeBron, and I, I like to ask these kind of people that that, that said they simply just don't like LeBron. Yeah. A lot of it's because of his antics and the way he is, and you know the complaining the refs and blah, blah. And if that's your, if that's the reason you don't like him, fine. That that doesn't change anything though. That doesn't change what he does in the court. That doesn't change the. Doesn't change his personal individual impact, his value that he brings to every single team, and his ability to carry trash rosters to finals year in, year out, year in, year out. If you don't like him for personal reasons, fine. You can't deny the numbers. You can't deny the impact and what he's done for this league. You can't. You can't deny that he's going to be the greatest player, whether you like it or not, when it's all said and done. So, LeBron James, it's it's been an honor, man. I, I I'm 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 thankful, just like I'm thankful to have Patrick Mahomes in my life. I've been thankful to be able to watch the greatness that that I'm grateful. I'm grateful to be alive in the prime years of my life to be able to grow and watch this guy uh, be and and build the resume that's going to be the greatest resume ever uh, and be the greatest player ever. Um, I, I'm grateful that I've been able to live with this. And I when he's all when he's gone, it's gonna be it's gonna be odd. But I'm I'm just I'm still smelling the flowers even at 38, being one of the best players in this league. It's an incredible accomplishment. All right, let's uh, let's talk. Uh Kyrie Irvin, uh, he requested a trade yesterday. Uh, wants to be traded before the trade deadline of Thursday, uh, February 9th. Yeah, so th- this is um, this is the least shocking news of the sports world for me because we all know the tendencies of Kyrie Irving. We all know how he's been over the last six years or so. Ever since they won that title in 2016, I think Kyrie Irving just really flipped and, and, and took on a persona that just – quite honestly just confuses the hell out of me because the off-court stuff alone is just baffling to say the least he <laughs> tries to act like he's the smartest guy in the room and he's the most ignorant in most cases um but that stuff aside on the nba side of things like how did we not think this was going to happen yes the nets had a nice little run to start this season or in, in the middle portion of this season yeah then kd goes down and Went now healthy, they've lost but... what 10 straight games mm-hmm. Now Kyrie Irving has been playing out of his mind. He's averaging like twenty five or twenty seven five and five or whatever it is. He's having a great season. Should have been All Star in my opinion. But we all know what Kyrie is. He's not a leader. He's not an alpha. He's a great player that can win with a greater player. He's a sidekick. That's what he is. There's nothing wrong with He's that. A Robin. Scotty Pippen. He's a Scotty Pippen. Mm-hmm. A great player, Hall of Fame player that just. You're never going to be the guy. And he's tried, and all he's done is burn bridges and burn franchises to the ground. He almost burnt the Celtics before they got started. Almost did. Luckily, they got out of it and said, we're done with this dude. The Nets, unfortunately, have been holding on too damn long. And now the inevitable happened. He asked for another trade because they're not going to give him a long-term deal. We all knew that. The Nets were never going to give him the money he was looking for. Now they have to look for a trade partner. It's going to happen. He's going to get traded. There are a couple teams out there, and there's only a couple teams that are even going to meet the criteria and match the, the the salaries. The Mavericks are a team that I know are interested, but I don't think they're willing to give up any real assets to get him to pair up with Luka Doncic because I don't believe that they think that pairing is good enough to win a title and the money that he's going to demand. So are you going to give up assets for a rental one year with a 23-year-old Luka Doncic? I don't believe they're going to do that. Which leads really one team out there, and it is the Lakers. Biggest reason why is, one, they have the salary swap that they could utilize in a trade with Russell Westbrook 
They both both teams have picks they could trade away if they really wanted to. They're down the road and they kick that can down the road. But it's also the fact that there's incentive for both sides. Russell Westbrook's going to show up every single day. He's going to play his ass off every single day. And him and KD, whether they want to play together or not, have had success together. They've been to the finals together. In the Eastern Conference, they could make a nice little playoff run. I'm not expecting Russell Westbrook and KD to get to the finals, but I like their pairing based upon both guys being all about ball better than I like Kyrie and his half-ass efforts with Kevin Durant because Kevin Durant, to that point, is also not a leader. He's another great player that had to go to Steph Curry, who is that alpha that can help lead him to titles, the only title he's ever had. Where's the only place and who's the only person that has helped Kyrie win anything? LeBron James. Papa. And LeBron is still playing, as we just alluded to for the last 15 minutes, is still very much that guy that can help you lead yourself, lead you to a finals. I'm telling you guys right now, we're going to mark this tape. If the Lakers get Kyrie Irving, the Lakers are going to the finals. I'm saying that right now. If AD stays healthy. Obviously. I mean, that, that goes without saying. That trio. But AD's now healthy. Yeah. LeBron is still at the top of his game, or at least close to it. You put Kyrie next to LeBron James and Anthony Davis, I'm not saying they don't need help elsewhere. They're still going to need their guys to play ball on the on the outsides, but we're seeing some of these other younger players starting to put together some careers now. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you right now, this Lakers team with Kyrie added to it, because this is the only place, and LeBron is the only player that can get that out of Kyrie Irving. And Kyrie's acknowledged it this year about how I should have never blown that up. I should have stayed with the Cavs. And I think LeBron would have stayed in Cleveland. If he had Kyrie Irving all these years, I think LeBron would still be in Cleveland, or at least the last year or so, he probably still would have been in Cleveland because yeah. they would have still had a yeah, chance Kyrie of winning more championships. It all up. Yeah. Now that he knows that that can be reconciled, and LeBron's still playing at, at near the top of his game, he knows that championship window is open. This is the trade they got to make, and if they make it, they're going to the finals. The West is wide open. If the Nuggets are the biggest opposition for the Lakers with Kyrie added. That's not much of an opposition. No disrespect to the Nuggets, but you're going to tell me right now a team with Jokic, who is right now the MVP of the league, with uh, every once in a while good but not great Jamal Murray and a bunch of good rotational pieces, I'm not picking that team over the Lakers. I'm not. LeBron's experience in the playoffs, being able to have a complete mismatch, Anthony Davis gives Jokic fits every single time they yeah, play, yeah. and there's nobody on that team that's going to stop Kyrie Irving. Well, nobody, nobody. I mean, the, the Denver, <coughs> Denver Broncos, the Nuggets have shown nothing but reasons to doubt them right. in the postseason. So, I'm telling you guys right now, that's if this trade does happen, I feel very good about this trade happening. If it does happen, you will see the Lakers playing for a championship. Yeah, I think I think everyone's kind of leaning into the Lakers thing being the most likely uh, scenario destination for Kyrie. Um, so are we are we all in agreement that Steve Nash wasn't the problem? Okay, because yeah, I, I, agree, I, I agree as well. I don't think Steve Nash was the problem. Um, and I think a lot of his antics when he was getting heated on the sideline was just because I think he knew he was on his way out and knew they were choosing Kyrie and the guys over him, which is fine, but I, I still think Steve Nash kind of got screwed in that situation. Um, yeah, I, th- I think... I would like the odds of the Lakers. I know they're only a few games out of being a playoff team because that's how tight the West is right now. Um, you know, if they win, if they go on a three-win, four-win game, uh, game four-game winning streak or so, they can definitely be right back in the mix uh, comfortably too. If they it, and LeBron all year hasn't had a guy who can consistently go get you thirty every night. Exactly. Kyrie is a guy that can do that anytime. He can go get you 40-50 sometimes. We've seen that numerous times with him. He's one of the best 
one-on-one scoring guards this league has seen ever. Yep. Yep. He's one. He's probably the best ball handler of all time. I don't think I've ever seen a better in-game handle handle than maybe, you know, yeah. I would say him. I, AI guys like that. That maybe some of the best ball handlers. I've, I think Kyrie is the single best ball handler I've ever seen in-game. Um, Jamal Crawford probably another guy as well. Um, but yeah. I think it, I think that this is the best marriage, the best fit for him is to go to L.A. I think that that trio with him and AD and LeBron, it just makes way too much than anywhere else uh, for him just to go win and fit and slide right into that starting role, have Schroeder as his backup, or even play alongside him as the two guard, have, let let Kyrie run point or let LeBron run point, and let Kyrie play two guard. There's so many different ways you can you can run that offense, and I think that would be a, a great fit for him. Uh, and I mean. Kyrie in LA makes a lot of sense in general, just for his marketability and you know um, <clears throat> the progressive city that LA is. I think would make a lot of sense for him uh, as a fit. Um, so, yeah, I mean this this is no surprise for us, um, and I think that things are going to come down pretty swiftly because the deadline is the ninth. You know, next I mean? Thursday, isn't it? right? Yeah, yeah. So, so I think we'll hear something here pretty soon, uh, especially with Kyrie demanding the trade himself. Things like that pretend to move pretty quickly. So some bridges were obviously burnt between him and this. Um, and I think we'd known. I didn't honestly. I, I expected him to be gone before the season started. I thought some things were going to happen before that. And then you know they held on. Uh, they had a nice little run with KD, and they're a good team when KD uh, is healthy. Obviously, he needs that alpha to help steer. You know, run the ship. But and, and then Ben Simmons playing center was a cool little thing they were doing their experiment for a while and it was working. And they went on a nice run. I think they're one of the best teams uh, in the East when they are healthy. Um, but. Kyrie just mentally just isn't there. He needs, I think, he needs a new uh, scene, and I think LA would be a great fit uh, for basketball reasons, and I think just for his personal reasons as well. I think that would be a good fit. So, I think it's LA or bust for Kyrie at this point. I don't know where anywhere else where he can go find success. Um, the Mavericks doesn't make much sense for me. The Mavericks, to me, as much as I like Luca, I love Luca, and I like that team. They're just not ready to win and make a nice run in the postseason. In my mind, as great as Luca is, it's just they're not ready yet. Yeah. Uh, so a, 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 a roster that's ready to go uh, and a good coaching staff is, is is waiting for him in LA, and I think it makes too much sense to bring back that chemistry, built-in chemistry. Uh, uh, and no, Tristan Thompson, you're not invited um, to that. That I don't know if you guys saw that clip of him. Yeah, you saw that clip of yeah. Tristan Thompson trying to get the gang back together as if he was some like, Tristan, vital just piece. just stay on the sidelines. Like, dude, you're, you're averaging like eight rebounds and like two points, buddy. Yeah, um, chill. So, yeah, I think uh, L.A. makes too much sense for Kyrie, and I think it's going to happen. All right. Let me open up my <laughs> notes. Look at his lips, literally. Slobbing the knob over here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, basketball, basketball, that's it. All right, uh, now let's move into the NFL, baby, the biggest sport. I will wait for the NFL. We'll go into UFC. Okay. We'll go to UFC real quick. Uh, this morning, it was confirmed that uh, we will see Conor McGregor face uh, Chandler Jones, I believe. Uh, yeah. Michael Chandler. Michael Chandler. Yeah. Not Michael Chandler, Chandler Jones. <laughs> Chandler Jones would kill Conor McGregor. <laughs> He's like seven or eight inches taller, <laughs> seventy pounds heavier. Like yeah, he's gonna whoop Jones his ass. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Michael Chandler. Probably more than he probably weighs hundred pounds more than McGregor. I bet he's got to be at least what two seventy. Dude, he's huge. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus, somebody should look that up while we're talking. My, my bad. All right, <laughs> won't uh, be Chandler Jones. Don't Michael, worry, guys. Michael Chandler. Uh, your thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, so this is um this was good news to to get. I think the UFC is definitely celebrating this more. This is the biggest W they've had in a while. I know the John Jones uh, news went down, but we all know that Conor McGregor is the biggest star the UFC has ever had, and it's by a substantial margin. This is the biggest. He's he's the Muhammad Ali of UFC. 
the best talk, shit talker, and one of their most accomplished fighters of all time. He has their quickest knockout of all time. Um, well, I think I think uh, Masvidal has it now, yeah. but yeah, but the, but he's he's been one of the most accomplished fighters. If knocking out Aldo in 14 seconds is just unbelievable. That's that's a that's a mark right there. Yeah. But seeing him snap his leg a couple years ago against Poirier, and I was of the belief that McGregor he would fight again, but I didn't think that he'd ever go for like anybody that was of, of any note. I thought it was going to be a couple, you know, a couple guys won some, you know, big days. McGregor could knock a few guys around. The ratings would be great. Anything, any, no matter who McGregor fights, we've talked about this. People are going to buy that pay per view. Cash cap. But he didn't cap. just do that. No, no. McGregor's fighting a guy that is very, very good. A scary individual, Michael Chandler. A guy who's been around a long time and actually beats Islam Mashevev in a wrestling match. People don't know that. Michael Chandler beat Ish, uh, Islam Mashevev in a wrestling match. Do you guys... Islam. The, the yeah. dude's about to fight. Strong as uh, hell. Uh, what's yeah. his name? Yeah. Uh, 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 Volkanovski. Volkanovski in, in yep. two weeks. Yep. So Next week, yeah. Next so... Listen, guys, as much as I'm happy about McGregor getting back, and this is great for the UFC, it's great for all of us, we're all excited to see him back. I might lean Chandler in this one, guys. He's been fighting more frequently. He's been more in, in, in shape and getting things ready. I know McGregor's been swole as hell, but I, I sometimes wonder if he's been, you know, on the on the, on the the juice a little bit to make himself look a little more inflated because he's 100%. been big. Because he's, he's naturally a slender guy. Well, he's, yeah, he's, he's massive. He's, he, he looks like he weighs like 215 pounds right he's now. He's on the oils. Yeah, so yeah. he's definitely on something, and he's going to have to get clean quick because this fight's going to be happening sometime in the late summer, they said. Uh, they're both going to be coaches for the new show they're going to be br- uh, bringing up. So that's really cool to see and everything. And this is great for the UFC. But I hope people aren't assuming that this is going to be just some walkthrough for for M- M- Conor McGregor, guys. He could win this fight, sure. Oh, yeah. But this is not going to be Donald Cerrone. This is going to be a guy that can very much go in there and whoop McGregor's ass. Because Chandler's been known to do it. So um, this is very this is going to be a very, very exciting card. And this is very exciting for us fans. And I cannot, cannot be more excited for what's about to happen in the UFC for the next six to eight months. Yeah, uh, I just want to specify. Chandler Jones is six foot five. <laughs> 260 pounds. Conor McGregor is five foot nine, 156 pounds. So yeah, that would be a slight mismatch in the favor of Chandler. Yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and go probably take Chandler in that match. Yeah, he's literally twice the man that Conor McGregor is. But yeah, Eddie, you had a, you had a good little theory there. Yeah, that'd be a slaughter fest. Um, yeah, man. I, <laughs> what could be? I knew, I knew, I knew Conor was eventually gonna make his return, and the fact that he's gonna be a coach. And uh, um, um, drawing a blank on the other guy's name, um, Michael, Chandler. Michael Chandler. Yeah, sorry. Um, I was thinking, Chandler. I was thinking Chandler Jones. I couldn't get it out of my there head. There we go. But dude, these these Chandler two guys and, and his credible, these are two of the greatest showmen ever. I mean, Michael Chandler's speech, dude. Some of his speeches, post-fight speeches, are some of the best things you can ever see. He was so he's such a great showman, just like Chan, just like uh, Connor is. Both these guys are being the opposing coaches, and this is probably going to be the most viewed uh, version of that show ever. Yeah. Um, and I, I will be watching. I haven't watched that show in a while. I will definitely be watching this one. It's going to be fun. Uh, and to see their guys going at it, see them coaching these guys throughout. This is going to be a great series. I can't wait for that. Uh, but the fact that these two guys are going to fight it out, too, is what – I mean, I love it, man. Two older guys, two guys that are well-seasoned and, and, and are you know two of the greatest showmen in the sport, two guys that are great at selling tickets. They're gonna, the shit-talking is going to be all-time – um, I'm I'm a diehard Conor McGregor fan. I'm rooting for Conor McGregor. I'm going to pick Conor McGregor in this fight, and just let that be known now. I always pick for him. Uh, it's, just, it's like the Chiefs. I don't really, I don't. If I'm not, if I'm not gonna bet, or if I'm, if I'm gonna bet in this game, and I don't like the Chiefs in this matchup, I'm just I can't bet against them. But I always bet for them, and I'll bet with them. Uh, and I love Conor here. Um, 
I still think Connor's the better uh, fighter throughout their careers. I know, I know it's it's fairly close, but Connor's I think had bigger fights and has, has beat bigger names in my opinion. Um, and I just, I just think he's the better t- tactical fighter as far as overall skill set. I think Connor's the better fighter, better striker, not by far, but it's definitely close. But I think he is the better striker. Um, yeah, man, this is gonna be fireworks, dude. This is exactly after losing out on the Nganu stuff, that 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 being a downer for the for the league uh, and for this brand. That's a massive loss for this brand. Granted, Nganu is on his way out. He's an older fella, um, and those heavyweight guys, when they get older, it, it kind of gets nasty, and it's just a kind of an ugly thing to watch. Uh, it's just, uh, that barn burned down a lot of times. We've seen it over and over again with a lot of the older guys, uh, heavyweight wise. But these two guys are guys that are still scrappy, still lightweight guys that can kind of extend their careers uh, and will sell a shit ton of tickets. So this is definitely a great um, lifeboat for the league, if you will, as far as an analogy goes. These guys are coming in at perfect timing after the Ngannou news. Uh, and then John Jones coming back at the same time. This is a great little second you know, wind uh, for the league here uh, coming into this new year. Great news. I mean, this is it's two of the biggest names coming back. You know, you got Conor McGregor coming back, and you got John Jones coming back. I mean, what could you ask for? Two of the greats ever uh, uh, to sell tickets for this league. Um, so I'm stoked on life, man. Two, two, my two favorite fighters up there. Two of my three favorite fighters of all time. Uh, GSP being the third. Uh, couldn't be happier, man. This is. Um, I'm super excited, and I cannot wait for this fight. You brought up John Bone Jones. <clears throat> I'm gonna talk about John Bone Jones, uh, or ask you about about, about John Bone Jones. Uh, obviously, today it was announced that Dana had signed has signed John Bone Jones for an eight fight deal, yeah, fuck, uh, yeah, including dude. the uh, uh, fight coming up uh, for the heavyweight championship uh, with uh, Cyril Gain or Cyril Gone. Cyril Gone. Uh, so, I have been the biggest John Bone Jones fan over the last twelve years. The goat. The love, goat. love. I've loved John Bone not. Jones, and I've respected him. I think he. I think. I think. Le- I think Bones had the, the real opportunity to be the greatest fighter who's ever lived. Unfortunately, man, he's made some really bad decisions. We don't need to go down that pipeline again. Everybody knows what's happened. And now he's sitting here at 34 years old with another chance to resurrect his career, and I think he has a very good chance of doing it. I think he can definitely do it. Uh, the eight-fight the eight opportunity is something that I think Dana White is putting out there in good faith because he believes that, Dana, that he's going to make a shit ton of money off Bones Jones if he plays ball. The problem is I have no faith that that's going to actually happen. I don't. I don't think that he's going to get through eight fights. I. I would have to see it to believe it, because at this point, John Jones has not garnered enough respect and quite, quite frankly, enough uh, belief out of me to think that he's going to stay around long enough without getting in trouble again. Does he look ready? Yeah, he's he's physically tuned, man. Ever. He looks insanely ready. Could he beat Cyril Gone? Yeah, and in fact, I might even pick him. What I'm worried about, though, is longevity. I, I'm very, very much worried about it because the heart of his prime, he absolutely wasted. From about 27 to right now, nowhere near what he should have been. And it's just really unfortunate to see because he had the greatest talent any UFC fighter has ever had. He should, he should be the GOAT without question. He might still be the GOAT. That's how great he was in the time that he fought. But he's wasted... Six years of great UFC fighting. He could have he could have went on a 17, 18 fight win streak, and and the Volkanovski record wouldn't even matter at this point. And he chose different, man. And I know everyone has their struggles, and I don't want to sound insensitive. I'm just looking at the realities of the fighter and the legacy. He's wasted so much time. I'm rooting for him, very much rooting for him. 
but I'm very much prepared for for me to be let down again. And honestly, like I know I, I sound super sappy, like I'm talking about a family member that like broke that like let me down or broke my heart. But there's something special too when you see a guy come about the coming of age. Like that's why LeBron holds a special place in, in my fanhood. Because I saw him from the beginning become what he is. So there's a specialty. That's why... Not only as a player, but as a man. That's why I understand when people that grew up and watched Michael from the beginning, I understand the love. Yeah. I get it. Because you saw the duration. You saw what he was. He was a mogul, a figurehead in your life. You're emotionally attached. Sports matter to all of us. That's why we do this show every single week, because we love these players. We love these teams. We love these sports. Yep. There's an attachment. I had that, and I, I still, to a, a small part of me, still have that with John, John Bone Jones. He was my favorite UFC fighter. He was a god amongst men. And to see him wasted just broke my heart, dude, because I thought he was going to do it. I thought he was going to be Anderson Silva times two. I thought he was going to have a Khabib-type run, and he didn't do it, and he squandered it. And I hope that there's still some left. I hope he can extend it for another three or four years and get these fights in and win all eight and then just re reestablish himself as that GOAT. I want to see it again, man, and I'm hoping it happens, but like I said... I'm just, I'm still very much trying to protect myself and keep him at an arm's distance because I feel like he's going to do it again, and I hope I'm wrong. I'll say it for you. He is the greatest of all time. He's the most complete fighter I've ever seen, I think anyone's ever seen. He has zero weaknesses. The guy is great at everything. And he has the most uncoordinated, not uncoordinated, but unconventional Un style. Yeah. An unorthodox style. And the, 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 you never see his strikes coming in certain ways. His backspinning elbows. Random straight kicks to the chin. Just his length. His, he's just a freak. He was his body. It, just like LeBron, it seems like he was a test tube baby made for that sport. That's the same thing with John Jones with this sport. His length, his size, his strength, his speed for his size, his durability, his floor game, his his, his striking ability. Everything. There's not a single weakness in his game. Yeah. His defense, his counter, his counter strikes. Everything he can be the aggressor. He can let you come to him and then beat you that way too. It's. He can switch up stance. Everything he, he 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 can do everything. He's the greatest I've ever seen. I think he's the greatest that there ever will be. I know he had his personal issues, and that's the only thing that that has obviously rattled his his ability to maybe to have the greatest resume ever. I still think he's got a lot left in the tank. And if anybody's followed this man on social media, especially Instagram, like I do, I've watched him you know work with many many like uh, uh, military and like tactical type things. Uh, uh, he, he's gained nothing but size. He was he was gearing up to face uh, Ngannou, so he's packed on size and strength. The guy's been doing a lot of bodybuilding and uh, uh, weight, uh, uh, um, powerlifting type deals. He's putting on mass. He looks incredible, man. He looks like the best I've ever seen him. He's been clean for a long time now. Uh, kept his nose clean, no pun intended. Uh, um, so I love and respect this guy. He's my favorite fighter of all time. I think he's the greatest fighter of all time. Um, and I think he's got a shit ton left in the tank. And I'm excited to see him go put Gone down. Uh, they get, I think Cyril Gone is a, definitely a legitimate challenger here. Um, another extremely skilled big man. The guy, his ability, obviously to move and his the balance that he brings and his his, his attacking uh, uh, prowess is incredible as well. I've seen that guy knock so many people out. He's in a, a force, 100%. John Jones is just different, man. John Jones is a special individual. He was, it feels like he was created for this. Um, and I, I fully expect eight fights is a lot. Um, but I think he can, I definitely think he can string that along. I think he's going to play, I think he's going to fight well into his late, late 30s, into his early 40s. Um, I think he's got that ability. And the, the, if you know anybody, if anybody knows the Jones brothers, they're all just freaks of nature. Chandler Jones and the, 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 the third brother, I think they played in Atlanta for a little while. 
Uh, I'm not sure where he's at now, but they're all freak athletes. They're all great athletes. You know what I mean? It's not every day you see three brothers, two of them are in the NFL, one of them is arguably the greatest UFC fighter of all time. Like that just tells you right there with who these guys are. Um, so I, I couldn't be more stoked, man. I, I thought I was going to be stoked about the, the Connor stuff, and I am, but it's still overshadowed. This, this news still overshadows for me the return of my favorite fighter of all time, uh, John Jones. Bones Jones is the man, and I think he comes in and I think he reestablishes his dominance in the league. All right. Uh, UFC uh, fight night today. Uh, I don't know if you guys are aware. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we got uh, Derek Lewis uh, fighting again. Fuck, didn't he just fight like a month ago? Yeah, Derek Lewis, no, the fight got canceled, remember? Yeah. yeah. Was it? Okay, so yeah. he's, he's, he's been on a losing streak lately. Uh, he's fighting Ser Sergei Spivak. 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 Spivak, whatever yeah. his name is. Uh, Tonight, so. I'm yeah. taking Spivak. Yeah, I love Derek Lewis. He's a great. He's a great personality. He's had a good run. Like Trevor said, he's on a losing streak. He's at the tail end of his career. I think this is a good fight for UFC Fight Night. But there's a reason this isn't on an actual pay per view card. I think Spivak's going to go in there and work him. I'm going to. I'm going to take Spivak and I'm going to take him pretty early. I think Derek's going to give him a run. It'll be. A, I, it could get out of the first round, but I think that I think Spivak's going to end up getting a, a TKO, a decision, something definitive. Uh, I'll give Spivak this fight. Yeah, and this is this is like what I, what I when I mentioned the the we've seen time catches up to heavyweights more than it does any other weight class. Um, we've seen it time and time again with the greats. You know, starting to become knockout guys. They start. They, they, they develop glass jaws, um, and, and guys that were knockout artists themselves, guys like Derek Lewis, who have haymakers for days. They tend to start getting more caught and more caught and more caught, and, they, and that's what's the, the trajectory has been for Derek Lewis. Uh, and I think Vegas would agree with you. I think uh, Spivak is now a uh, minus three ten. That's a heavy favorite. Um, so as a heavy favorite there, and um, yeah, Derek Lewis is at plus two fifty. Um, so it, it's pretty skewed in, in favor of Spivak, and I like Spivak. Obviously, he's the better fighter at this point of their careers. Um, so yeah, I would definitely. As much as I love the entertainment uh, and, the, and the mouthpiece that Derek Lewis has, I, 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 love, I love entertainers. Yes. I love guys that, you know, as much as you hate the Pat Beverly's and guys like that, they're still, they still bring a great entertainment to the game, and, and they make it more interesting. They make it a little more fun, and, and, and they, they add storylines to things, and that's what Derek Lewis is at this point. He's a fun mouthpiece to this, this league, but he's not the fighter he to be. He had well, a nice little run. But I'll say this. If Derek Lewis wasn't the mouthpiece that Trevor says he is about the marketability, he wouldn't be in the UFC still. Yeah. Because he's just not a good enough fighter anymore. I mean, yeah, yeah. It's just the truth. For sure. All right, let's move into the NFL. God damn. Uh, Kel Moore uh, was fired by the Dallas Cowboys uh, literally this past week. Mm -hmm. uh, he was uh, he was without a job for like an hour, I think. <laughs> and then the San Diego, uh, San, fuck. Los Angeles the, the, Los, the Los Angeles Chargers <laughs> uh, picked him up right away as their uh, new offensive coordinator. Uh, your thoughts on the firing and your thoughts on uh, <coughs> the Chargers picking him up? Uh, Kellen Moore was a fall guy for the Cowboys failing. Um, he He's one of the best offensive coordinators in football. This has been proven now for the last three years. His creativity and what he's brought into the the offense for the Cowboys has made Dak Prescott look like a better quarterback than he actually is. And uh, outside of the Chiefs, no team scored more points this season with Dak Prescott healthy than the Cowboys. That's a lot of praise to Kellen Moore. And it's not just that he made Kellen he made uh, Cooper Rush look like a capable quarterback. He drew up some great plays for that offense. He simplified the offense for Cooper Rush and then turned it up a notch when Dak got back. It was not Kellen Moore's fault what happened in Dallas. 
It's because of the fact that Dak is just not a good enough quarterback to take you deep into the postseason. He's Kirk Cousins with a better brand, like our guy Colin Coward says. He just is. Uh, we just know what they, what he is, and I think that the, the Cowboys use this as a fall because they, they're not going to fire Mike McCarthy. And now Jerry Jones is putting all the emphasis on Mike McCarthy to have to call plays because if they fail next year, then who do they blame? Mike McCarthy. And they're already talking about extending Dak, too. Right. Yeah. Dak's not going anywhere. Yeah. So now Kellen Moore actually makes out because now he gets an actual yeah. top-tier talent a as spot. a quarterback. That's a good pickup for the Chargers. It's a very good pickup for the Chargers. Do I think that's going to turn them into a Super Bowl contender? No. But is their offense going to benefit from it? Only Absolutely. Helps. Helps, yeah. Look, man, I'm going to say it. Mike Lombardi had the job he had because of his grand, grand his grandfather. Vince Lombardi, th- that's why he had that job. Mike, Mike Lombardi has sh- never shown in his career. He was with the Saints for a while. Yeah. I, I think he was with somebody else for a cup of coffee, and he's with the Chargers. You can tell that he has limitations as a play caller. It was so obvious. And I talked to the five Chargers fans that are in existence, and they all told me the same thing. So if 100% of your fan base feels that same way, I'm going to go ahead and agree with it. And this is an absolute upgrade for the Chargers. This is You know Justin Herbert's loving this. And there's a reason, Eddie, that he was literally, I guarantee you, by the time he walked out of the set of, of uh, in, out in Arlington, Texas, wherever they're at, you know, right around the Dallas area, as soon as he's walking to his car, there's somebody from the Chargers rolling up. Hey, bro, get in the car. We need to talk. I, I, I'm i telling you. It was like the end of the Marvel movies. Like, once the movie's over, the credits roll and something's already happening already. That's what it probably was like. Kellamore was an absolute steal for the Chargers. I can't believe the Cowboys let him go. But you're going to see why he was a special offensive coordinator for the Cowboys next season. Oh, yeah. And I think, that, I think the nail in the coffin for Lombardi was uh, when uh, they couldn't score um, a single touchdown in the second half against the Jaguars when – Chad Henney went 98 yards <laughs> in replacement for Patrick Mahomes, injured Patrick Mahomes, and went down there and scored on a 98-yard drive, uh, which may be the most important possession of that game. And he couldn't, and Lombardi couldn't even get that talented offense of the Chargers to even go score a single touchdown in the second half while being up almost damn near 30 points. Um, yeah. I think I think Moore is a great addition, honestly. To I think he's a bright young mind. I think he's only going to become brighter and brighter as he gets more experience. He wasn't a good quarterback, we all know this, but I think he is a bright young mind for offensive coordinators. Um, still a lot to learn from him. I think this is a great. I think him teaming up with Herbert is a great addition um, to a younger mind offensive coordinator that has fresh ideas. Um, he's going. I mean, going from Dak and upgrading to from Dak to to Justin Herbert is a. I mean. Psh. Yeah, you're leaping like eight spots. Talking about shiny new yeah. toy. Yeah, I think that's a great marriage. And I think they will be more competitive offensively next year because of that addition. I think they have to be. Um, I think that's a, sometimes you just need a new voice. And I think, you know, look, the, the Chargers took a step forward this year, regardless of how we feel about them and, and believe in them as winners. They definitely took a step forward this year. Um, they still found ways to lose in embarrassing in embarrassing fashion. Um, but I think this is a great move positive, positively for Justin Herbert to have a new voice and a younger voice and, like I said, fresh new ideas, fresh new, but maybe some new uh, fun plays that they can imp- incorporate into the offense. Um, that's always a good thing for younger quarterbacks, and I think that's going to be a good move for them. Well, and it's also going to help them implement the run game more because Kellamore likes to run the ball. Yeah. And this is going to add so much more pressure on Brandon Staley. Sure. Think about it. Brandon Staley's a defensive-minded head coach. They fail job. again next year, and the offense takes a big step up. Let's say, like, let's say they finish like third in scoring next year or yeah. something like that, and they and they're like you know twenty-first in defense, and they fail. Like, like they make the playoffs and they're one and done again. They can fire Brandon Staley and just make Kellen Moore their head coach. It's possible. 
So there's a lot of pressure on Brandon Staley right now, man. This is his last-ditch effort right here. Well, for especially him to get, with the success of uh, offensive-minded coaches rather than defensive-minded coaches. You know, defensive-minded coaches tend to have a lot of success, but yeah. not in the postseason. This will be times. Brandon Staley's fourth year as a head coach. If he doesn't get it done, yeah. then you have a guy in house that you can just literally switch the gears to and say, and "Young, hey, young, coaches, here's young the coaches at the new wave." Yeah. So yeah, even though Staley's not old, but yeah, yeah, I think he's only 39, 40. Yeah. We're talking about head coaches. Who's going to take whose job? Let's talk about Sean Payton taking the Broncos' job. Congrats, man. First and foremost, uh, Sean Payton is an incredible coach. I think when he is active, which he will be next year, he's one of the five to ten best coaches in football. Um, I, I, I've said all along that whoever gets Sean Payton, they're automatically going to upgrade as a team just because of the quality of coaching he's going to bring to the equation. Your offense is going to upgrade. One of the best offensive minds in football. He had success in New Orleans all those years. He was also blessed with the fact that he had one of the five to ten greatest quarterbacks to ever live, and he did, he did save Drew Brees' career. I will say that for sure, one hundred percent. But Drew Brees being there is one of the most accurate quarterbacks, if not the most accurate quarterback in NFL history. Consistent, definitely helped Sean Payton get there. As great as Sean Payton was, we have to remember one fact: they won one Super Bowl, and he was there for 14, 15 years. I want to say 15, 16 years. No, longer than that. He took over in 06 and left in 2021. Yeah. That's 17 years almost. 18 I mean, they're, years. They're a perennial the, um, postseason team. So 2006, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 1, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. Yeah, so, so yeah, 15, 16 years. They won one Super Bowl. Yeah. Sean Payton is now this offseason's version of Russell Wilson. <laughs> what do I mean by that? Wow. Think about this. Damn. Remember last offseason? When we heard the news that they traded for Russell Wilson, everyone was was buying into the Broncos' hype. And they were saying, he's what's going to be the difference. I remember hearing Colin Cowherd call the Broncos the AFC's version of Tampa Bay when they got Tom Brady. Literally said those words. All this savior hype about him going to be the one that's going to lift them out of this seven, eight-year window of not winning anything, not going to the playoffs. And then it got worse. Because Russell Wilson was no longer the great quarterback he once was and is not the guy that's going to save a franchise. I love Sean Payton. He is not going to save the Broncos franchise. And I'm going to say that very, very confidently. Here's the biggest reason why. What I just said about him and Drew Brees. The reason why Sean Payton had so much success is because he had an elite quarterback for a decade and a half. He will not have that in Denver. And you can say, well, they can move off Russell Wilson. Do you guys realize they can't get out of the Russell Wilson contract until at least after 2026? Sean Payton will be in his mid-60s at that point. Will Sean Payton want to want to start over after all that? Is he really going to want to start over in his mid-60s? Like, imagine Andy Reid getting a quarterback like Patrick Mahomes at the age now. It might be fun and still he wants to do it. But you're not going to have this humongous window of time. And what are the chances that the Broncos are going to get the next Patrick Mahomes? Very minimal. So at best, he's going to get a little bit more out of Russell Wilson than what they got from him last year. And I find it so funny, and I'm going to continue to hammer this point home. Everybody wants to just assume it was all on Nathaniel Hackett. Did I think he was a good head coach? Hell no. I never bought into the Nat Hackett thing. Because he's not a head coach. The guy is not fit for that. But he wasn't their biggest issue last year. Their biggest issue was the guy they paid $240 million to. He was supposed to save the Broncos, not Nathaniel Hackett. 
Nobody was saying, hey, they got Nathaniel Hackett. That's a contender. No, everybody was saying it was Russell Wilson. Well, that guy's not going anywhere, and now he's going to be a year older. And this team isn't going to get any better than what they were a year ago. And here's the biggest reason why. The compensation they gave up for both Russell Wilson and Sean Payton. Do you guys realize they gave up three firsts, three seconds, four additional players, and almost half a billion dollars to get Russell Wilson and Sean Payton? Just to get those two. If Russell Wilson was 25, 26, I could see this working out really well. But you know what's funny? Is that people forget where Russell Wilson came from. Everybody said, well, he's got a great head coach now. He'll succeed. You know who else is a great head coach? Pete Carroll. Do you guys forget that DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett and Chris Carson were all there with, with Russell Wilson over the last three or four years? Guess what they went for? Guess from 2015 to 2020, guess what the Seahawks record was in the playoffs? Three and five. Three and five. And they had some good defense over there for a little bit too. So not as a you late, so. and that was that was in Russell's prime. Yeah. Those were in his age 27 to 32, 33 years. Those days are gone. So you're getting a has-been quarterback who's undersized, who doesn't have the same style or ability that Drew Brees had later, even later in his career, because Drew Brees, the one thing he was great at was in structure. He could hit those pinpoint accurate passes like few ever could, if anyone ever could. That's not Russell's game. Russell's a moon ball, big shot, big playmaking type of quarterback who scrambles around. He no longer can scramble, and that moon shot doesn't come around very often because they don't have the pieces, and they can't add those pieces because they have no draft picks and their, their salary cap is absolutely fucked. So I'm telling people, and I said this before and I'll say it again, Sean Payton, I hope he is mentally and emotionally prepared to never win another thing in his coaching career. Because I didn't even mention it over these last three or four minutes of me going off. They also have the Chiefs in their division. They also have Justin Herbert in their division, that's who the, we just talked about getting, big one, getting Kellen Moore, one of the best offensive coordinators in the league. So at best, Sean Payton has the third best quarterback in his division. And we don't even know who the Raiders quarterback is going to be. For all we know, they might get somebody that's a better upgrade from Derek Carr. We can talk about that in a minute. Then you're talking about the potentials of having the worst quarterback in the division. Good luck, Sean. I appreciate. I, I, I think personally he got this job because of the fact he's going to make an exuberant amount of money. Mm-hmm. They're talking about upwards of $24 million a year for Sean Payton. You know what that's going to do to the coaching market? It's going to reset everything. Because allegedly Andy Reid's making around 10 to 12 a year, which is very good money for a head coach. If he doubles that, yeah. guess what Andy Reid's next contract's going to look like? Guess what Sean McVay's next contract's going to look like? Look at Sh- Kyle Shanahan. Guys that have been putting in that work consistently. Especially if Andy Reid wins another ring. Exactly. <laughs> so I, I, I'm happy for Sean Payton. I'm genuinely happy. I know he's getting back to the game he loves. I love and respect Sean Payton greatly. He will never win another meaningful game or another meaningful thing in his career again because of going with the Broncos. I'll leave it there. Yeah, I don't have much to add to that. Uh, I think that the the biggest key there is the fact that he joined Patrick Mahomes because if, if Patrick Mahomes was in this division and this was in the Chiefs division to lose every single season, it would be different because that's, I still think he could if the Chiefs were out or if Patrick Mahomes was in this division, uh, I think it'd be a lot more. There'd be a lot more chances for him to possibly you know win this division or take it you know uh, uh, with that defense and some of the offensive weapons that they do have and whatever Russell uh, 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 Wilson is at this point. I think there'd be a chance that he can maybe possibly make you know polish the turn as best as possible and, and win that division. But the fact that the Chiefs are the Chiefs and the Chiefs on a down year still won this division, they're still going to the Super Bowl. 
that alone is the nail in the coffin for any kind of vision of what he can do there and and uh, what he can turn that this, this that Broncos team into. I have mad respect for Sean Payton and I have mad respect for a lot of the talent that's on that defense and, and the, um, for the Broncos. Um, but it does feel like this is a, a great opportunity to, for him financially. Uh, and I think location, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, Colorado's, uh, uh, Denver, Colorado is one of the, the most beautiful cities in the country. Um, you know, he's got the, he could, he could settle down there and maybe, you know, retire there eventually. Maybe that's a great place to live. Uh, so it makes a lot of sense that way. And it makes and a lot of sense. From LA. And then obviously the money makes a whole yeah. lot of sense. Yeah. I mean, it's the Mountain West. A lot of people go to retire in the Mountain West, whether it's Nevada, Colorado, places like that, Montana, places like that. It's a great place for a lot of people to, older folks to go retire and live and enjoy their days with some great weather and, you know, such. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it is it is intimidating uh, to a sense that you have another all-time great coach in your division now. Um, on top of it, this division is loaded with talent and and and, and uh, coaching-wise, staff-wise, and and player-wise. But uh, we all know, we all know this is the Chiefs' division to lose. I mean, it's 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 just obviously that's a fact ingrained in this in stone at this point now. So, um, it's a good business move for him, um, money-wise, financially-wise, and location-wise. But outside of that. I'm not expecting them to be a winner. I'm not expecting them to be any kind of real threat yet. Um, there could be obviously moves that, that change and change my mind and make things a little bit more interesting. But I mean, it's not like the Broncos got a lot of money to go schlang around and, and find other free agents to come play there. Um, and they don't have the draft picks either to go get high, uh, uh, you know, high talent in these drafts. So a lot of things are working against Sean Payton here than, than it is working uh, for him. So um, congrats on third place. Uh, and then bringing it back to the, to the Chargers, uh, John Harrison uh, commented that the Chargers are in trouble, though. According to Over the Cap, they're $20 million over and haven't signed Herbert to a big contract exactly. yet. Yep. Their roster is going to be different. You notice I didn't say anything about the Chargers adding a bunch of depth. But what's, they can't. Worse? what's worse, being in that situation or, or being having your quarterback under a terrible con- uh, uh, contract and who's not good anymore. Yeah, that's, that's the that's whole point. So that's, I still that's think that's they're in a better Moore, position than the Broncos. That's why adding Kellen Moore with the current st- yeah. structure that John just alluded to right. is actually a great thing because he can get the most out of it. Yeah. So, same with the Broncos. I'm sure Sean's going to coach Russell Wilson's ass off. I'm sure he's going to get in there and make him work as best as he can. The problem, though, is, again, these teams can't add the talent necessary to make it work. And furthermore, when it comes to Russell Wilson in particular, the, the, the limitations to his game, even at his apex, were not what Drew Brees was. Everybody assumed they were same similar quarterbacks because of their the fact they're both short guys. Yeah. Their styles could not have been more different. Yeah. Drew Brees was a quick screen, structured, you know, everything was perfect Boy, kind pre- of quarterback. Pre-snap, adjust, pre-snap yeah. stuff. Like, Russell Wilson's not that guy. No. So Sean Payton's not getting the same thing out of his quarterback, and furthermore, he's further along in his, his career, far more further along in his career than when he got Drew Brees. Drew Brees was 26 years old when he went to the Saints in 2006. That's why they had the sustained success, because he had a quarterback that was entering his prime years. Russell Wilson will be 35 years old in November. Yep. And he's getting paid insane amounts of money until 2026. He'll be in his deep 30s by that time. Sean Payton got this job, and I'm happy for him, but he only got it because I think the money's there. It makes sense. And quite frankly, he's probably got a lot of ego to him. He probably believes, you know what, I can make this work, and I'm sure he believes that. It ain't going to happen. He'll make it better, but it it's not going to be enough to... They will not be a contender. ...to throw the king. They will not so, be a contender. Yeah. 
and neither will the Chargers, like we always talk about. I know we're making predictions way too earlier, but you look at the projection of how these teams go about things each and every year, and as John just said, the cap structure is the way it is. Meanwhile, the Chiefs have all these players on rookie deals, all this money coming off the books next year. The Chiefs, like Trevor said, were supposed to be retooling this year. Well, they did, and it still worked. And now the Chiefs can go out there and spend some money and be aggressive this offseason while adding another 8 to 15 players in the draft. Mm-hmm. I couldn't be more excited about the way things are looking with Sean Payton even in the equation. It doesn't make the meter move a little bit. I'm like, ah, that's a guy you got to respect. Absolutely. you got to respect what Sean Payton is. But we also have to factor in what he's taking on. And I think it's too much. Yep. Tom Brady announces his second retirement from uh, professional football. Tom Brady, uh, it'd be kind of cool to see him unretire again and then retire. That way he would tie him with Jordan for the, you know three retirements. That'd be pretty cool to see. Um, yeah, two, like dude. officially, because he always yeah. like talked about it. He never like made it. He made I think two official. There was two official retirements with Green Bay in 07 and then again with the Vikings in 09. He didn't retire from the Vikings or the Jets. Yeah, he just got he just he just went to the Vikings. Yeah. yeah. Um. So when it comes to this Tom Brady news, I was shocked by this. I will say that I was very shocked by it because after his initial unretirement last year, I was like, man, this guy's going to come out here and he's going to try to play for at least a couple more years. And the way this season went, which, by the way, I nailed the the win-loss prediction. I didn't think they were going to make the playoffs because I didn't think they were going to have the worst division in football. But I, after this season and the way it went with the Buccaneers, as frustrating as I know the season was for, for Tom, knowing his personal affairs and, and everything being freed up for him, there was going to be some teams out there. According to many reports, there were like four or five teams that were really trying to get Tom Brady this offseason. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought, you know, there ain't no way he's going to go out like this. You know, Tom's going to want to go out there and prove he can still win a championship, and I think he's going to go team up with a good team and give it a, give it a go. I thought he was going to leave Tampa, and that was going to happen. And then we just get a random-ass video on February 1st, which, by the way, is a year to the date that he made his first initial retirement. Um, it, it was very shocking. It was very, very shocking. I know a guy at his age, it makes sense, but Tom's still good enough to play in this league. And as we've always talked about, if you're good enough still and teams want you, Keep playing. If you still got the drive, keep playing. I'll be honest with you guys, um, and I'm not going to take any way from, I'm not going to steal any of the thunder from our guy Nick Wright. He had an incredible segment on his podcast. I highly recommend you guys go watch it. I think it's like the final like 15 minutes or so of his podcast when he talks about these things and the sacrifices that Tom Brady has made. What's right with Nick Wright? That's yeah, what's the, right with Nick Wright? Go check that out because I think it was it was some of the best stuff I've ever heard from Nick, and that's saying something. Yeah. Um, you can tell this isn't because Tom doesn't feel he's good enough anymore. It isn't because the teams out there aren't out there. There's not teams out there that want him. Mm-hmm. I think he, that he's he's realizing that, that this is the time now where I got to go and be with my kids. I think that's what's happening, and it's and it's unfortunate because as Nick said again, I'm not going to take away anything from him. I think that now Tom has realized that I've done everything I set out to do. That's what I think this is all about. It isn't because he can't keep playing. It isn't because teams don't want him. It's the fact that he said I want to play till I'm 45. And he went and did that. I want to be the most successful player of all time. He went and did that. I remember I heard the first story that he ever had, the first interaction he ever had with Robert Kraft, the owner of the Patriots. He goes, hey, I'm Tom Brady. Robert Kraft didn't know who the hell this kid was. He was a six-round pick. supposed to be just a dude. Hi, I'm Tom Brady, and I'm going to be the greatest quarterback. I'm going to be the greatest decision you ever made. And that man walked that. Determination. That man walked that. Six Super Bowls later. Him and Robert Kraft couldn't be closer. In fact, this dude was missing practices to go to Robert Kraft's wedding this last year. So, um, congratulations to Tom Brady on an an unprecedented career. The greatest career we've ever seen in the NFL, and it's not close. 
I'm happy for him. I'm glad he got to live his dream, as he said in that video. He got emotional, and it's good to see that because it shows that this is genuine emotion. This is something that really does affect him because of the competitor that he is. That's one thing I'll never knock Brady on. Mm. I can sit here and say he's overrated as shit, and he is. But one thing you can't ever take away from this man is his fire, his competitiveness, how bad he wants to win, how obsessed he is with this game of football. You can tell, man, even in his late years— this game made everything to him. This was his ultimate dream and ultimate passion. I couldn't be happier for him for what he's been able to accomplish in his career. And I honestly do hope that this next phase, this next chapter of him being more with his kids, more involved, and getting to do the the, the work with Fox, making $37 million a year as a commentator, as a, as a color commentator, I really hope this works out. Because I'll be honest with you, some of the videos I've seen and heard from Tom Brady, dude's hilarious. Like, he's got a pretty good personality. He's witty. Yep. I didn't expect that from him for the first, like, eight to, eight to ten years that I knew of Brady. Because <laughs> the Patriots like to keep everybody, you know, chess level. But I think the Gronk situation kind of broke free for Tom Brady. I think that really helped. I think that's why he loves Gronk well, so much. It's come out a lot since he's left New Yeah, because yeah. Gronk came around in 2010 or 2011. Brady was around 32, 33-ish at that time. And I think that, you know, at that time he was such a respected figure. He was very, like... You know, Oki, you know, he didn't really have a lot of personality outwardly. I think that Gronk kind of broke that free of him, and then you saw why they were so close in the later stages. I think that's going to go really well, especially with Gronk being at Fox as well. That's going to be really cool to see. I think you're going to see some pairings with those two guys. I'm really looking forward to that, and I really hope this works out for Tom because a guy like him, the whole, like, what's next thing has got to be scary as shit. Like, not having that ability to go out there with the guys and play football again, that's got to be rough, but... He did what he did, man. He set out to go and get it, and he went and got it. So, congratulations, Tom. Yeah. Um, when I think of Tom Brady, I think of he. This is a person who was a hero to many, but a villain to most. Yeah. Um, I hated Tom Brady. <laughs> I just, as a competitor myself, as a as a fan of teams that he beat numerous times. Granted, I will say the only team he has a losing record against is the Kansas City Chiefs. I'll just throw go. that out there. there the go. only team. Um, and a couple of those were to Alex Smith. Um, <laughs> yeah, like I said, a, a hero to many and a, and, a, and a villain to most because it's, it's similar to the Kobe Bryant, you know, kind of kind of a um, uh, dynamic with me. You know, I hated Kobe <laughs> throughout the years. I had I had nothing but respect for his competitive nature. I hated him because he beat my team a lot. He beat a lot of other pe people's teams a lot. Uh, he won a lot of rings. Very successful, had a, a, a massive killer instinct, and didn't matter if it was win or lose. He was he wanted that shot. He wanted the moment, whether he he, he you know took advantage of it and won that moment or lost it. Um, that's not the point. The point is that you want that moment. You thrive in that moment. You want to be the guy that has all the the pressure on your shoulders. And I have nothing but respect for guys like that because those guys tend to be some of the greats to ever do it. Because uh, the one that that crumbled in those moments never will be remembered. And guys like Kobe, guys like Tom Brady are entrenched in lore of sports in general will be remembered forever guys like Messi, guys you know guys like that just they're just they're they're heroes to a lot of people um and even the villain side of it when you didn't like him you still remember him you still respect him when it's all said and done now that tom brady's actually officially done i have i have nothing but good things to say about the guy and i i respect him i respect the passion and, and the, the the um the influence that he had on so many other quarterbacks and so many other players in general you know, I mean, you see guys coming to him pregame or postgame. Yep. You know, you, you even have guys from the Niners uh, uh, coming up to him and, and you know wanting him to sign the ball and or sign things for them or the ball that uh, uh, I forget which player it was for them. I think it was the Niners that came up to him after the game. He had picked up Tom Brady, picked him off, and he wanted to sign the ball that he picked off of Tom Brady, yep. even though that's kind of like insulting in a way for Tom Brady. But he signed it. You know, he 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 he, he you know he understands the the lure that he has created.
himself and the fact that all his players, no matter what position they play, or de- defense or offense, they all look up to him as that guy. Yep. You know, I mean, he's been the MJ for a lot of these young football players, uh, uh, and the impact he's had on this game, the success that he's um, consistently had in this game as a competitor uh, with his accomplishments, uh, it's 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 a resume that might never be matched overall as far as accolades and success goes. That's a tough thing to accomplish. There's only one guy in this league that can possibly have a chance to to fit, to you know uh, strive for strike go on that same trajectory, and that's Patrick Mahomes. But he himself has become an anomaly here. So what he did in his career, man, is um, is unmatched at this point. And um, I have nothing but respect for him. And I hope and I hope just like I do for anybody else who who had massive success. Uh, in the sport or in business in general that they uh, and profession that they endured and they, they, they went through the ups and downs and a lot of success and when these guys leave this game when anybody leaves something they were so successful at they tend to have identity issues after they leave that and I hope I hope that's not a thing with him um, he seemed emotional obviously in that in that farewell um, I just hope he finds his identity and, and takes that competitive nature into his next venture, whether it is sports broadcasting, whether it is, you know, a, a, analyst type of role, which I hope that is because I would love to see hear him on the mic uh, breaking things down because I, he's so knowledgeable um, of the game. So um, I hope he carries that over and I hope he finds a passion into something else because that's something that, you know, gives you a new identity and a new purpose in your life after the fact of being arguably the most greatest and accomplished uh, uh, athlete of all time. Um, so I hope but the best for him. I, um, you couldn't wait one more year. That is what it is. Um, but uh, I hope nothing but the best for him, man. And he seems like a great person, individual, great father, individual. Um, so, yeah, I uh, it's so long, Tom, but I hope these next ventures, and I, I'm pretty sure we'll, he'll stick around be a massive part of the NFL for years to come, and I'm looking forward to it. Can't wait for uh, Tom Brady to be and speak for yourself or on <laughs> hey, Fox Sports. Yeah. He'll be doing guest spots on. He'll do a guest spot with like Colin Coward every once in a while. They like show up and do like a fifteen minute interview. Oh, he's That's gonna be really exciting to hear the stories. It, and I heard uh, what was it? I think it was Nick and them on first things first. He said, hopefully in the next few years. You remember when they did the Billichek and Bill Parcells thing when they sat down and talked about how like you know Bill Parcells was the one that brought Billichek up as a coach all those years ago with the Giants and Jets and all that stuff. What if they did a Bill Belichick Tom Brady, where they like sat mm. down, kind of like Isaiah Isaiah Thomas and Magic Johnson a couple years ago, uh, when they Kobe, they squashed that Kobe shit? They talk, yeah, yeah. Like that, Kobe that would be powerful. Oh, dude, this be, is the greatest dynasty that's ever lived. There's gonna be hella documentaries coming out on these guys, man. man you already know. I would love that. Yeah. Have them sit down next to each other and do like a ten part docu series. I, I cannot. Oh, and Belichick's gonna say like five whole words. Yeah, yeah I was gonna oh, say I cannot wait for fucking <laughs> nah, Tom Brady to say something and then Bill Belichick's like, oh yeah. He was a great quarterback. <laughs> nah, yeah. It's, it, On to Cincinnati. This next chapters of his life are going to be, I think, going to be great for him, man. I mean, 10 years for whatever. $37 million a year. The bad. $375 million. <laughs> yeah, he's going to make more money in this contract than he made his entire NFL career. <laughs> That's crazy to think about, man. He's, he's earned that, man. He's earned it. Yeah. All right. Uh, next question. Uh, and last question, honestly. Uh, Want to talk about... <coughs> Potential suitors for these three uh, quarterbacks yeah. that are. Probably, How about we do one at a time? Yeah, yeah. Probably that are probably in the market. Yeah, you stop getting ahead of me. No, I'm sorry, That's, I can't help, but I have a problem. That are going to get in the market uh, or could potentially be in the market uh, this offseason. Uh, let's start with uh, Derek Carr. And if you guys saw the Pro Bowl uh, on Thursday or the challenge, whatever the <laughs> challenge is on the Pro great, Bowl. That was great. Uh, they ask uh, Derek Carr if he's ever been this hot. 
And he's like, no, I've never been this hot. It's like, that's probably why I'm leaving. <laughs> going somewhere else. Right, man. Yeah, that's probably, probably going somewhere it. else. Yeah. So, and that smirk on his face, yeah, too. It's so, priceless. Uh, yeah. There is a, a, a report out there that uh, the Chargers are letting Derek Carr speak to teams. The Raiders. That, uh, Raiders. The Raiders. Yeah. That they're they're letting Derek Carr speak to team uh, speak to teams that they have already uh, uh, a, 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 what you would call a deal in place already for yeah. Derek Carr. So. I I'm gonna I'm gonna be honest with you guys. As I said before the show, I know we were talking a little bit. I don't think Derek Carr is actually gonna get traded. I think they're gonna have to cut him because I think he's gonna play hardball with this Raiders team as he should. Because I think the Raiders are obviously looking for their best interest in mind, not Derek's, where it's we want to get the, the best return value. Well, if they send him to a team where he can't win, why the hell would he agree to that trade? Hmm. So as it currently stands, I think he's going to play hardball with this team and not budge, and then they're going to have to cut him to avoid that $40 million, uh, whatever that situ- whatever that clause is in his contract. where they, It's fully guaranteed by like February 15th or whatever it is. So I, I'm going to say that he's going to be able to choose where he wants to go. And I think there's some really good teams that are, that are on this list, and I think the teams right now that currently stand at the top of my list – are, are the, well, the Buccaneers are a team that I think is, makes a ton of sense, but the problem is wherever he goes, he's going to have to get a long-term deal. And I don't know if the Bucks have the money to be able to, to make that work. They're going to have to cut a lot of players. I think they could figure it out. I'm saying, like, I think I think a guy like Jimmy Garoppolo makes the most sense for a Buccaneers team. Oof. A guy that's not going to cost a lot of money. Think about it. The guy that ain't going to cost a lot of money, not going to cost a lot of money. You still have a good defense and good weapons around him, so I think that's more of a likely Sorry, scenario. Sorry, Mike Evans. Yeah, I, I am too. <laughs> but I, I right now, if I, had, if I had to make my best guess on teams – uh, I, the the biggest team I think right now is the Panthers. They just signed Frank Reich. They need a quarterback. They have an awesome uh, young defense, good weapons, and DJ Moore in the backfield. They have a very winnable division in the NFC South. That's the team that's on the on the rise, in my opinion. I think that's the perfect team for Derek Carr to walk they do right have into. A quarterback there, but. Not compared to Derek Carr. Like, Sam Darnold, and he's not even under contract from what I know. I still think Frank Ryan could get the most out of Sam Darnold. Though. Yeah, but I'm saying if they know they can go and get Derek Carr, yeah. and they have the cap space to yeah. go and make it happen, and they wouldn't have to trade re- anything, you know? ready. Yeah, this is all based upon my theory of Derek Carr free agent. Going to the NFC, I think, would be ideal for him. be ideal for him, and I think that's a great team for him to go to. And like I talked about America a few weeks ago when I said about the suitors, he's going to want to go to a field or market where it's not like New York, where they're just going to be on him all the time. It's going to be a, no. let's ensure that he can kind of just be himself in a lower tier market and try to over exceed what he had you know going on yeah, i think need, that's we don't need per- him crying we don't need him crying anymore the, the two other teams that i think are that make the most sense are the colts and commanders commanders are gonna be very aggressive this year and try to get a quarterback as well because they're they're a quarterback away from being a, a really good playoff team mm-hmm. so i think that that's a very very suitable team and the nfc as well can the eagles replicate this what will the cowboys be without kellen moore you know are the giants going to continue to take strides i think Derek carr being thrown in that mix would be a really good mix to have and obviously the colts if they get a Derek carr that's a team that can win that division i know the jaguars are on the rise titans are always in the mix all that other stuff the texans got D'Amico ryan's maybe he can do something with that I still think, though, the most realistic scenario for me is the Panthers, and I think that's a great fit. I think Frank Wright could really turn Derek Carr, even in his early 30s, into a quarterback that can be respected. Well, he's already got an elite option at wide receiver one. Right. And, you know, so uh, I like the Panthers. Um, and I will say, I think he does get traded. I think they figure something out. I think I think there is mutual re- – I know it, it didn't seem like that toward the end of this year, yeah. but I think I, I do believe there is mutual respect between the front office and Derek Carr. Because Derek Carr – Say what you want about his personality and his cheesiness at times. He is a class act kind of guy. He's a team for 
first kind of guy. You got to respect that as a leader for a team. He hasn't had the accomplishments for sure, but the guy has always had the right head on his shoulders. I will give him that. He's always been a team first guy. Yep. You know, he's always a guy that puts. He's a pretty selfless kind of guy. And you got to love that out of a leader. And we have a similar guy like that, obviously, in Patrick Mahomes, who's always crediting his teammates no matter what. Um, and you got to love that. So I think I think they will figure out a way to get him up to a place where he, if he has an option to choose where he would want to go. I'm not counting San Fran out of this though. I think there is a chance. We don't know what's going to happen with Brock Purdy. If he does have to get Tommy John, that's a massive issue. Um, I don't know what they're going to do with, with uh, Trey Lance. Breaking news. Uh, Cowboys announced they hired Brian Schottenheimer as the new offensive coordinator. <laughs> oh, boy. That's so Cowboys, bro. That is so Cowboys. Oh, yes. You, go, you get rid of Kellen Moore oh. and you go Schottenheimer. All right. Do you guys know who Brian Schottenheimer is? I First do. of all, he's the son of the great uh, late uh, Marty right, Schottenheimer that used to coach for the Chiefs and Browns. Right. Brian Schottenheimer was the most basic offensive coordinator back with Seattle. He was the the longtime offensive coordinator there in Seattle. Got fired because yep. they said he was running a high school style offense. He took some congratulations, time off. Yeah, congratulations, time Seahawks off. or Cowboys. Yeah. You you earned that one. Go All ahead, right. Trevor. I'm sorry. Man. No, no, no. But that's, I just, that's awesome. Thank I you do. I do like Carolina. I think that makes a lot of sense with Frank Reich, and they're maybe wanting to change some things up there. Um, Derek Carr would be a good fit. I think. Yeah, I think I agree with you. I think Frank Reich would get the most out of Derek Carr, maybe more than anybody ever has. Um, that'd be a great um, fit because he tends to be, you know, he's had, he's been credited as a QB whisperer. That that <laughs> fell that fell pretty flat this year. But uh, granted, I think they had the corpse of Matt Ryan out there, and it was a it was a tough watch. Yeah. Um, and Derek Carr is still a young, spry guy who had who throws a great ball. Um, I do, I do like Washington. I think, well, I think that I think obviously the all open the Colts and the Washington jobs. You know, there's vacancies there. Um, and a lot of mystery there uh, to what's going to happen with those two. But we all we, we do know that those two teams badly need a quarterback, and I think the best fill-in quarterback right now that's going to be floating around is Derek Carr. I think he's the most talented quarterback that's going to be floating around in free agency, uh, and I think it makes the most sense for him to go to one of those two places. Two places have a really good run game and defenses, so that makes a lot of sense for him. Um, but, but like I said, I think San Fran would be the best place for him to go win, obviously. obviously. And I think he is a guy that can go deliver balls and, and, and steer the ship of that offense that is very quarterback-friendly. And I think he would have the best arm talent of all the guys that they have in that roster right now. I think that's I think that's just the truth. And But a lot of that does hinge upon the outcome of what is to be uh, made of Brock Purdy's situation. Because they could have a two-year, three-year rental maybe for Derek Carr, let Brock Purdy sit there and learn more and more. That is just an idea, and that's a possible situation. Because if, if you get Derek Carr on that offense, I think they're immediately an, a, a contender in the NFC, 100%, because they were that with Brock Purdy. And I, well, I'm very convinced that Derek Carr is better than Brock Purdy. Um, no, no shot at Brock Purdy, but he's, I just don't think he's there yet. But granted, he, he was 7-0 as a starter, well, as he started until this last game and then he got hurt. It was 7-0, so credit to him. But I do like Washington. I think the Indianapolis Colts is a great spot. Um, the Jets is a no, no, no spot for me. I, I just don't think he would thrive in that environment. I'm with you on that, Lance. Um, and I do think the Buccaneers are a great spot for him as well. I think there's there's ready-made offensive weapons there. He's got two legitimate wide receivers. Um, you know, he's got a young uh, Kate Otten is a young, uh, good tight end in this league. I think he has opportunity there with him. Um, you know, some defensive players, some older guys that are kind of on their way out, but still a lot of defensive talent and um, a defensive-minded head coach could be good for him. Um, but yeah, I'm interested to see. I think all those, all the, it can make a lot of spots make sense for Derek Carr. I think it really does come down to where he would like to go, uh, where he'd want his family to be, because he's a fair, obviously a very family-oriented guy. Um, 
So I think I think they will factor. I think he does get traded though. I think they come to terms on something. They figure out and they they, they kind of send him off. Similar to the way the Chiefs did with Alex Smith. Granted, it's a different situation. We didn't bench Alex Smith like that, um, and that was kind of a shot at the ego for for Derek Carr. But I do think they uh, they come to terms and figure out something to get him where he wants to go. Okay. Um. Let's see. Okay, uh, so John Harrison uh, commented again. Uh, he said, over the cap says Carolina is $8.9 million over yep. the cap, uh, $245 million in liabilities. <laughs> Atlanta has about $60 million in space, and he, he's, gives it, just, he gives it his opinion as reuniting Carr and Mariota would be a weird yeah, method. well, Mariota is going to be gone, Bad. and the Falcons are—they got their eyes on somebody else. That we're talking about in a second. But no, I, I I agree. The Panthers have a lot of money tied up, but there's also guys that can move off of that can open up about twenty-five to thirty million in cap space this off season. So especially I, I the cap pro- going up. Too. I sh- you know what I should have done? I should have probably done my homework before that. I apologize. I probably should have those numbers because I was looking at that when I was talking about this a month ago with Trevor about Derek Carr. I had those numbers ready. It's on a previous episode, but the Panthers can't open up about twenty-five to thirty million in cap space this off season. So although it doesn't look good right now, they can make that stuff happen without losing a bunch of viable assets moving but forward. I don't think it matters. I think if any team wanted to, really wanted Derek Carr, they can make it happen. Right. The cap, it, it can be moved. We've seen it with Patrick Mahomes' money. We can, we can move things around. Yeah. You can always make things happen. If their team really wants a guy, especially at quarterback, they're going to make it happen. And I think I think Derek Carr is going to be a hot commodity this offseason. Absolutely. Next quarterback, Lamar Jackson. I'm glad you brought him up because that's the guy I'm talking about when it comes to the Falcons. Um, mm, yep. This makes all the sense in the world. And again, I know that everyone's like, well, I think the Ravens are going to make the offer. Look, guys, if the Ravens were going to make the offer that was going to suit Lamar's demands, they would have already done it. Wouldn't they have wanted to got, got this out of the way a year ago so this wasn't a distraction all season? And now again, with Lamar again getting hurt to end the season, you really think they're going to feel more confident about that with him another year on his body with more injuries on his body to his knees of all places? There is no way in the world the Ravens are giving him the money he's going to want. But that doesn't mean other teams won't. The Falcons are a desperate franchise at this point. They have not won anything for seven years. Seven years. They have been at the bottom of that division for the majority of those seven years. They're not far away, though. And like John and you had just talked about, Eddie, they got a ton of money to mess with. They can trade plenty of picks for the next couple of years. And to them, Lamar Jackson would be worth that. Do I think you're going to win a Super Bowl with Lamar Jackson? No. But for the Falcons, it's about selling tickets and getting back into playoff contention. Those two things do come with Lamar Jackson, especially for the next three to four years. Mm -hmm. So if you go and give him that big-ass contract that's something close to what Deshaun Watson got, and and obviously we're going to see what happens with the Burrow contract, Herbert's contract, and and, and if the Falcons are serious about this, they're going to want to trade quick because if Burrow resets it and then Herbert resets it again, then you're looking at a contract that's going to be even bigger than what we what we were anticipating initially. The problem is, is the Browns pissed everybody off because no one, and I mean no one outside of the Browns, would have given Deshaun Watson that contract. Mm-hmm. Nobody, because he wasn't deserving of it, and it's a Only it's a contract Browns. it's a contract that doesn't make sense. Why would you give a quarterback a fully guaranteed contract, knowing his injury history, knowing what's been going on, on the off on the off off the field anyway? The, the Chiefs wouldn't have given Patrick Mahomes that contract, a fully guaranteed $230 million contract. Even Patrick wouldn't get that. 
So why in the world? So the Browns just pissed everybody off because now quarterbacks are looking at that contract. But see, on the flip side, what contract's going to save Lamar Jackson and gives him a reason to get a contract similar to Deshaun is what the Cardinals gave Kyler Murray, who's nowhere near the quarterback Lamar has been, and it has got, gotten nowhere near the accomplishments Lamar Jackson has gotten yeah, to this point. MVP, this man's an MVP. Yeah. And now they're struggling to get a head coach because exactly, of Kyler Murray. Because no one wants to coach Kyler Murray, and he won't be playing till at least October. So he's going to miss at least the first five, six weeks of the season. No one wants to take that on, even though Mike Kafka will probably end up taking that job. The point I'm trying to make, though, is Lamar is perfect for the Falcons, and in the short the short window of time, the Falcons are perfect for him. He gets to go to a division that, once again, like we've talked about, is extremely winnable. Mm -hmm. they got good young talent. Arthur Smith is a good young up-and-coming coach, offensive-minded. They have a, they have an owner that's not afraid to spend Still money. Still a really good fan base. Yes, they would, exactly. They would love to have Lamar oh my, there, bro. Yeah. They would go nuts. <coughs> he's from sure. the Florida area. That's not far from Georgia at all. Yeah, south, yep. He's closer to home. We know that he's talked about that before, about wanting to be a little closer to home. Mm -hmm. This is the perfect trade for all sides included, man. The Ravens can get a haul back in return. They wouldn't have to worry about paying him that money. And all of a sudden, you got yourself set up. Now, the Ravens will have to figure out how they're going to facilitate the, the quarterback position. But moving off of Greg Robin, their offensive coordinator, they don't have to worry about the scheme anymore. They can have their own scheme with another quarterback. Yeah. They can open up the books. And like I said, they can spend money elsewhere. I, I think this is the trade that's going to happen. I think the Falcons are the perfect place for Lamar. And I think that's what's going to we're ultimately going to see before June. I still think there's a chance he does end up in Baltimore, um, but it, it, it there was I think I feel like there was too much back and forth and like bridges being lit on fire, not fully burnt yet, but there was fires lit on these bridges uh, uh, with his cryptic, honestly lame tweets and things he was saying out there about you know. It, when you have something good, you know, cherish it, blah, blah, blah. It's just, it's just very cryptic and very passive-aggressive and kind of lame. Um, say how you feel. Say it with your chest, man. If you really want to put it out there, I mean, he, he, it just, it's a bad look to me, honestly. Yeah, he was like and two emojis away from me in a Drake song. It, yeah, exactly. It, it felt pretty lame. I just didn't like it. If it was my quarterback, I'd be really bugged out about it. And I know Baltimore does not, and the fans, I know some Baltimore Ravens fans, they in no way want to move on from Lamar. They want to keep him as their guy, and I get it. He's an extremely talented guy. But I, it it definitely feels like, and I know there's been like rumblings about how they're all they're, the the Ravens are ready to sign and 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 pay him like you said, Lance. If that was gonna be the if that was the case, they would have done it already. And what are waiting for right now? Right. Yeah, you know, their season's already over. What are they waiting on? You know, what I mean, if negotiations were set in place and things were you know gaining traction, what's the what's what, what are we waiting on? You know, we've had right. three whole years that they've been talking about this. So. Um, yeah, I, I think Atlanta makes the most sense. I think for his personal brand, I think I could see him in an Atlanta uh, Falcons uniform. I, it, 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 it looks nice. I can see it in my head. It would look nice on him, and I think that'd be you know playing in in a, in a, uh, uh, in a, um, a dome as well. I think it'd be great for him. Um, you know, kind of getting out of that Maryland rough weather out there. It can get nasty out there. Um, yeah, I think it, I think I think a fresh start for him somewhere else would be great. Um, I, I think I even think Carolina would be a great spot for him as well. I think him with Frank Reich, I think him, uh, uh, with that defense would be a, a nice little team as well. Um, but I do think Atlanta makes the most sense. You got Kyle Pitts. You know he, he's shown to have great connections with Mark Andrews, the tight end. You know, say so I think Kyle Pitts would be a great offensive weapon with him. Drake London, obviously a big body receiver who's a deep threat. I think it fits the perfect mold for for uh, Lamar. He likes the plays to break down and chuck it deep to big body receivers. I think that makes a whole lot of sense. So I think there are a lot of things offensively that would thrive uh, with Lamar at the helm. I mean, we've seen that we've seen that offense really rolling at moments with Mariota. You know, what I mean, so you 
get you get Mariota with a really good arm like Lamar Jackson is, then you got something there. You know what I mean? So, uh, and that defense actually played fairly. That defense actually played well at moments. Uh, not really great, but they've been uh, they were opportunistic defense. Not nothing to the Ravens defense, but that is a, I think that ma- that is a, ma- a move that makes the most sense for Lamar. I think if he's in a transition anywhere else. But I, I just I, I we obviously need to figure out what the Ravens are going to decide at the end of the day. Uh, but the fact that they've drugged their feet this long and this this much um, kind of tells me without telling me if I'm being yeah. honest. So I think I think Lamar is going to be elsewhere. And I think Atlanta makes the most sense. The last quarterback to discuss is uh, MVP, Super Bowl winner, uh, Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers. Uh, this is a my guy. So this has been a very um, fun offseason for the Packers already. I know that the NFL season isn't officially over yet, but this one, this has been a question, an ongoing question for the last, I want to say three years now that we've been, you know, wondering if, you know, the Packers and Aaron Rodgers are going to stay together or not. And then they run the team back together. Then he loses Devontae Adams this offseason. You see a significant dip in his production. Team doesn't make the playoffs. They lose a home game. You're when you're in in the playoffs against the Detroit Lions, a, yeah. a team that historically the Packers have owned. And quite frankly, everybody has owned. They came in there and they beat the Packers. When I saw Aaron Rodgers walk off that field holding on to Randall Cobb like that, I know he's a guy that loves to milk the attention. He loves to say things. But I saw the way he walked off the field, and then I listened to his press conference and how almost like relieved he he sounded about like you know everything kind of comes to an end. You know the, sometimes the the ride's over and all this other stuff. It really felt like Aaron was really wanting to move on. Before, you could like sense it, but it also felt like he was just kind of pining a little bit to get more money. And that's exactly what we got this last offseason. You know, the $50, $60 million a year that he's going to be getting for the next three years, mm-hmm. the Packers obviously bought the bait. But now the Packers are against it because now they have to figure out how they're going to rebuild and retool their roster, which is already pretty good. But they also have a quarterback on a rookie deal for the next two years in Jordan Love, who has shown signs that he can play quarterback in this in this uh, this league, in particular against the Eagles this this season. He went in there and played very well against the Eagles. Now the Eagles were up by a substantial margin, so maybe they weren't playing as tough. But he was making some good throws in that game. Yep. So maybe because of the fact the Packers obviously believed in him enough to take him in the first round and giving him an opportunity here and there, maybe the Packers are finally at that place where they say, you know what? Aaron's 39 years old. We've gotten the most out of what we can get out of him. The last three years have ended in just absolute turmoil in the playoffs. We were too good to not make one Super Bowl appearance over these last three years. Aaron has carried us, but maybe it's time that we really do move on. And the reports are a little bit different this time around. Hearing hearing Aaron talk in this offseason is not going to be anything I buy into because we know, like I said, he loves to sell it to the media. I'm going to be paying attention to what the Packers aren't saying. And for me, you're not hearing one time from Gutekunst or any of these guys talking about, oh, Aaron's our guy. Mm. Aaron's our guy for the, for the foreseeable future. You're not hearing that. We heard that last offseason. We heard that the offseason before. Aaron's our guy. And I think it's easier for the Packers to move on now, especially to the fan base, because the previous two years, Aaron won the MVP, and they were a, they were a highly touted playoff team. So if you were to move off Aaron after a season like that, people are going, dude, we were that close. Yeah. You just won MVP. Now it's easier to move Save off. Face a little he's bit. a year older. The, yeah, the team isn't as good, and he's not, obviously not the MVP. wasn't even close. It's easier to do it. That's why I think it's going to happen. That's why he's going to be a New York Jet. That's why that's going to happen. The Jets hired Nathaniel Hackett, 
And I don't care what anybody says. That doesn't happen unless the Jets were 100% in on the Aaron Rodgers sweepstakes. And it's also perfect for the Packers because that's a team in the Jets that I think have like 12 draft picks. They can easily give them a, a hole for Aaron in return. And it's getting him out of the NFC. You're moving him out of the NFC, so it totally removes him from any real way of hurting you for the short term. They could, probably, they could probably even pack Zach Wilson in there yeah, too. Yeah, and, and you're talking about off. and you're talking about that fifty-five, sixty million dollars that's owed him this next year. You're not gonna have to pay that. That's going on the Jets' books. So you're moving off from the money. You're moving off from an older quarterback, and you're moving on him out of the conference completely. And you're getting they're probably gonna get four or five picks out of that trade. It's perfect for the Jets. It's perfect for the market for for the New York media to get Aaron Rodgers and him to take them on in that division with Josh Allen. That's gonna be so much fun. Hell it yeah. is and with those weapons and, and that Tua. defense. Yeah. You want to talk about a resurrection of Aaron Rodgers' career? That Jets team becomes a contender with Aaron Rodgers. How did they win that division? So that's the trade I think is going to happen. Could I see another one potentially? Yes, but I don't really see a scenario he stays in Green Bay for another year. I know with Tom Brady retiring, people are thinking, "Hey, maybe the Packers want to run it back one more time." They really can't afford to do that because mm-hmm. they're going to be paying Aaron another big amount of money, and that's one less year on Jordan Love's rookie deal. If Jordan Love goes out there and plays well, then you can justify paying him another year later. And that would be his last year on his rookie deal if you pick up his fifth-year option. That's the kind of moves the Packers are going to have to start making. They're up, they're pressed up against time, and I think this is the perfect time to trade him. And I think that's what's going to happen. I think the Jets are the team he plays for in 2023. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm a big I'm a big Aaron Rodgers guy. Outside of Patrick Mahomes, that's my favorite quarterback of all time. Um, I love Aaron Rodgers. You may not like him for his personality, blah, blah, blah. You can't deny the numbers and the talent that the guy has been his whole entire career. He's had some blunders in the, in the postseason. I get it. I, I was very critical of him these last couple trips to the postseason. The fact that they missed the playoffs this year, I would say it was a massive loss. But I feel like he he did everything he could to steer that ship uh, uh, this year to to pull them out of the dirt because they they were honestly people were writing them off as dead halfway through the year. You know, and he got them to that point. Granted, they should have beaten the Detroit Lions. They should have beaten them. They should have won that game, no doubt. Yeah. But I think Aaron Rodgers honestly stayed with the Packers far too long. That's a that's a franchise that's done nothing but. Absolutely shit the bed when it comes to to building talent around the talent that is Aaron Rodgers. He's far too good to be not not. And they waited till this point to finally start drafting receivers this past recent draft. And I, I get it. They had some they added some decent talent guys, guys that were in and out of lineups this year that couldn't stay healthy. Both their you know Dobbs uh, uh, couldn't stay healthy. A lot of those guys just could not remain healthy. So there's a lot of ups and downs offensively. They became a run first offense. Um, and Aaron Rodgers was kind of just running the system this year. It was a very odd feeling. It wasn't very – he only had like three games over 200 passing yards this year, which is wild for Aaron Rodgers. Um, so I felt like he, just, he kind of overstayed uh, more than he should have. I felt he should have went somewhere else years ago, in my personal opinion. Um, and he's made, he's made great runs. You know, that he's been at back-to-back MVP the past few years, um, and his numbers were, were great. Obviously, his numbers are going to be up there with the best of all time, uh, especially with that, you know, uh, touchdown-to-interception ratio. This is wild. Um, so I, I think, yeah, I think this is, I think this is the last rodeo for him this past this season. Um, I think I've always wanted to, I've always wanted to see him go to San Fran. I feel like that would always been a great marriage uh, with him and Shanahan. That's just that would be a, a nasty addition to that offense. Obviously, obviously not going to happen. And we even see him confirm that himself. Uh, I don't know if you saw that clip of him playing golf out there, asking, "Hey, do you got any mm-hmm. news for us, Aaron?" He was like, uh, I'm not going to San Fran. <laughs> so he like out of nowhere just, you know, made sure he put that that rumor to bed. Um so I, I think the Jets is the best suitor. I think that team is a is a quarterback away from being an absolute contender. I do believe that. I think that defense is 
top tier. And I think the second year of Sauce Gardner uh, being, a, you know, the all pro that he was his rookie year, I think he's just going to build on that as well. Um, a true number one lockdown corner. Obviously, defensive studs all over the place on that roster. Uh, that defensive line is nasty as well. So, uh, and then you got Garrett Wilson, obviously, I think who I think deserves the offensive rookie of the year. I think he will get it. Um, and you get Aaron Rodgers out there chugging him in that ball, and you know how Aaron Rodgers is when he finds one guy that's uh, you know uh, uh, becomes his guy, his top target. His, their number is going to be ridiculous. Mm-hmm. You know, we saw Christian Watson really come on as of late this year, and look what Christian Watson did with the touchdowns is outrageous. So when he finds a guy, he's going to find that guy. Um, so I think I think the Jets makes the most sense for Aaron Rodgers. I think it does. I think he could go in there and, and immediately make that team into a, not only a contender, but that I think that they would be the division favorite in my mind. I think we've seen the Bills peak. I think the Bills are the Bills at this point. Uh, and I think if Aaron Rodgers goes over there, I think he knows there's some blood in the water. And I think he knows he can go over there and compete uh, in that division. Regardless of how much talent is in that division, I think that would be they would be the team to beat in my mind. So I think that's the team that would be at the top of the list for me. I think the market would be great for him. I think he's a guy that loves attention. Um, and I think the attention in that New York market would be <laughs> a lot. And I think the coverage would be a lot. Uh, you, you saw how much attention Zach Wilson, as trash as he is, was getting. You know what I mean? Imagine Aaron Rodgers over there. It would be yeah. fun. It would be a really, really fun uh, storyline throughout the season to see that uh, develop. Um, and then a, a, a very vocal and hyped coach like Sala, I think that would be fun. Just fun to watch over there overall. All those different personalities together would be a, a blast. Um, I can't really think of another team, though, that I would rather see him go at the, outside of the Jets. I mean, Tampa Bay – would be an option, but again, that's a lot of money. <laughs> Talking about the contract that somebody would have to pick up. Um, but I, I think the Colts are still an option, but I just can't see Aaron Rodgers' personality going there and playing for Indianapolis. Right. That just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. He's too much of a celeb in my mind to go over there. Um, I think New York makes the most sense. Uh, what? Cowboys? Oh, Cowboys. They're, 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 they're about to extend Dak. They, they're sold. I think Dak's the guy, and, I, and I'm very glad they feel that way. Um, are they sold on him? Because Jared, Jared talking Jones, about well, extending him. Well, Jared Jones was uh, very adamant, saying that they have to get a quarterback this this draft. So, oh, that's a, yeah, that's a draft. They're not going to go pay Aaron Rodgers. Uh, that's just not trade Dak for Rodgers. You that, it's know. the same cap hit. Pretty I don't. Much. I don't see that happening. No, because Aaron Rodgers is about nine years older than Dak. I don't yeah. think that they're going to try to invest money on a guy that's almost a decade older than their current quarterback. Granted, trading Dak would make a win. lot of sense. Trading Dak now would probably be the old. This is your best chance to trade Dak if you really yeah. wanted to because he's due for an extension. But I don't think Aaron's the, I don't think Aaron's the guy anymore yeah. that can take a team like the Cowboys to actual playoff cont- or to contention higher than mm. what Dak is. That's my opinion. I definitely like, think he could. Uh, I think I think Aaron Rodgers on the Cowboys, I think they're the favorite out of the NFC next year. I do. I think, I think he's well, the I think that, that could be the case with the Cowboys either way because Dak is the best quarterback in the NFC right now. Sure. Yeah, with the Niners, yeah. with the Niners, he's the best quarterback in the NFC right now. Yes, no, yeah. I, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Statistically, that's not he was. saying anything. That shows how thin the NFC is right now. Statistically, so, he was. You can't. Yeah. I mean, I know he had turnover issues, but he still played very well this year. Um, that's yeah. including Aaron Rodgers at this point. I think Dak's slightly better than Aaron Rodgers right now. I don't see Aaron Rodgers going to Washington. I, do. I don't see Aaron Rodgers going to the Colts. I think it's. I think it's Jets or Jets are bust. Yeah, I really do. I think that's a. I think that's a beautiful setup for this season. I think. I think the. I think they'd be only great for the NFL. Honestly, I think that would be a great move for the NFL. All the storylines that would come out of there, and, and then that division being loaded. God, another top-tier quarterback going to the AFC. AFC. I know, man. It, it is what it is, but I think that would be great, and I think that's what's going to happen. I think the Jets are just they're just sitting there waiting. If we get it. one more top-tier quarterback in the AFC, we need to have our own Super Bowl on the AFC side. Like, Man. straight up, because the NFC is just, unless, like, Derek Carr and a couple other quarterbacks start going to the NFC, like Lamar Jackson, yeah. like, we got to start evening this shit out eventually. Because it, it took a 45-year-old Tom Brady to retire for the NFC to be like, okay, 
What the hell do we do? Like, he yeah. was one of their best quarterbacks. Like, that's all bad it got in the NFC, so. Yeah, yeah I think it's the Jets <laughs> or bust, for sure. Awesome, awesome. That's a great Eddie Hour. That's one of the best Eddie Hours we've had in a long time. Yeah, it's good stuff. Uh, and I always enjoy it. It's my favorite segment of the week. Guys, we have one more order of business to get to. What is it called? Hold this L. L. Each episode, we finish up every episode with a series of L's in the world of sports. Whether those L's in the world of sports are friendly L's or not so friendly L's in the world of sports, we promise you, who is ever holding those L's in the world of sports deserve those L's in the world of sports. Mr. Eddie Ortiz, Mr. Yo Yo Yo, I'll throw it right back to you. Who's holding the L for you this week and why is it F1? It's F1. Yeah! Yeah, it's F1 related. I'm going to give it to F1 fans. <laughs> Why am I going to give it to F1 fans? Myself included. Uh, because we always hope for something different every year. Around this time of year, we get the the the, the, livery, the live, livery reveals or the, co- the color scheme of the cars. The brand new cars start coming out. You're getting excited for the new season. New season starts in the first weekend of March. You're expecting difference. You're expecting your expect your expectations are so high, and then they break your heart. They shatter your like your hopes and dreams. Why am I saying this? Because Red Bull announced their car on Friday. We were all expecting, oh, they might change like a little bit of their color scheme, uh, especially with the new, new uh, partnerships that they got with Ford and stuff like that. Maybe maybe they'll add a little something spice to it. You know. Same fucking car from last year, same fucking car from the year before, same fucking car from the year before that one, same fucking car from the year before that that one. So it's the same thing, and we always get heartbroken. It happens with every single team. We're going to see Ferrari come out with maybe putting a, a extra letter in black, but it's the same fucking car. You know what I mean? Like, it's like Madden football games. Yeah. Us fans, we need to understand that they won't show you anything until the first race of the week uh, of the calendar year, and that's until March, and that's when we're really going to see the, the cars. Uh, it sucks that we go through all these reveals, and it's the same fucking car from last year. It's disappointing. It's heartbreaking. But it's our fault. It's it's the fans' fault because we always expect something crazy, something cool, something exciting. But No. Same boring fucking thing. Because you guys keep buying it. Yep. And we're going to keep on buying it because it's going to be the same shit next year. So for that reason, F1 fans are going to have to do me a favor and uh, hold this L. L. Trevor Twinwell, who's holding the L for you this week? So I'm just going to read this article real quick. Um, One of the strangest media moments of this NBA season came when former player Wally Zerbiak, now an analyst with the Knicks, went on a rant against Pacers guard, my boy, Tyrese Halliburton, who I miss dearly. After the Knicks beat the Pacers, Zerbiak called Halliburton a wannabe, fake all-star, quote-unquote, in an apparent attempt to boost the all-star candidacy of New York's Julius Randle and Jalen Brunson. Let me just go, I'm going to go ahead and play this clip for you guys real quick so you can hear it. One-point game, an awful possession by the Pacers. And I don't know what Grimes is thinking here. You don't stop in the coffin corner unless you're planning to call a timeout. I was screaming at the TV, call a timeout, call a timeout, call a timeout. So we got one point game, 18 seconds left. Step Baxter's supposed wannabe fake all-star with the big miss there, and then the rebound by Randall, and then Randall iced the game with all the free throws. Last chance down three for the 
wannabe all-star. Let me keep it that way. He's in his second year. He's a very good player. He's not going to make the all-star team. A guy like Julius Randle or Jalen Brunson will make it over Tyrese Halliburton. Third tonight year. we saw yeah. why. Oh, it's his third year? Third year, yeah. Yes, you're right. 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 But um, just an awesome performance. I mean, overall, the defense was... was st- so stop it there. <laughs> not only did... Uh, <clears throat> Tyrese Halliburton make the All-Star. He's an All-Star starter for the Eastern Conference. No, but he's missing it according to him. Yeah, yeah, no, no chance. His second year, and he's actually a third-year player. You know, he, he's, uh, as an analyst, you know, keeping up with these players really well. Um, Tyrese Halliburton is an absolute stud. This guy plays a very old-school style of offense. He, he, his, his shooting style is kind of like in a floating. He has a lot of, like, mid-range floater. He's a, he's a pass-first guy. This guy... This Pacer team is over overachieving what we expected them to be, um, and, and and I've never seen in a, in a while a, more of a win-win uh, trade <laughs> situation that the Kings and the Pacers did. Because I was very upset initially when we got rid of Tyrese Halliburton because I saw the potential that this guy had. I saw his ability to facilitate and, and, and get the best out of his teammates. So I was very bummed when we got rid of him. But I will say, fourth in the MVP race right now is is Domanus Sabonis. Who is a, a, a an all star as well this year? Even though De'Aaron Fox got absolutely snubbed, um, maybe the biggest nub of the of the NBA season so far. A guy that's averaging twenty three, four, and six. Um, either way, um, that that call from Ollie Zerbiak there, which was for for no reason to really dig deep on a guy for no reason to to to, to uplift the 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 Knicks players uh, who also made the, the All Star game and kudos to them. Uh, Jalen Brunson, or no, Jalen Brunson actually didn't make the All-Star game. Tyrese Halliburton did. Um, so that's another L in itself. Uh, and I just want to throw another act- an extra tidbit in there as well. Tyrese, Tyrese Halliburton, after he was announced as an uh, NBA All-Star starter for the Eastern Conference, changed his uh, <laughs> his uh, Twitter um, avatar photo to Wally Zerbiak uh, as he was making that call from the desk. So that's just a, an all-time burn in my mind. Uh, but yeah, I just want to uh, I just wanted to uh, um, get pay some recognition to uh, you know as the kids would call the freezing cold takes of nowadays, uh, which that 100% belongs on there. So Wally Zerbiak, don't you dare doubt my boy Tyrese. Do me a solid favor and hold, hold this L. L. I have uh, a lot of respect for players that join the media, former players that join the media because. They have usually insights that the normal person wouldn't have because they have experience, and experience is a big thing when it comes to relaying information, uh, firsthand accounts. Those are things that people pay attention to, and obviously ESPN and FS1 have gone that route because those people provide that for the viewing audience, and it's a big thing. And a lot of really good shows, man. There's some good quality shows today, man, that, w- that, we, that we all love and enjoy every single day. Uh, a certain individual from one of those shows uh, by the name of Dan Orlovsky – Uh, decided a couple weeks ago to make a stance on the current quarterback stratosphere and the tiers of, you know, who's the best quarterbacks in the league. And I'm going to let Dan explain this to you himself, and that way I will give you guys my second viewpoint on this. But this was his (laughs) – 12 days ago, this was Dan Orlovsky's viewpoint on the current quarterback situation as far as who's the best quarterback in football. All the stuff that – Patrick, Josh Allen, Lamar, yeah. Jalen Hurts do. Guys, you can't do that stuff. That They're outliers when it comes to so much of their stuff. All the stuff that Joe does, you can, but he's the only one who does. Mm. That's the thing that fascinates.
fascinates me about Joe Burrow. And, and, and Rex, there's a category of quarterback, you and I as the, the sort of the older ones at this table here, it, it, it brings to mind Tom Brady, who wasn't the most skilled. It brings to mind Joe Montana, uh, with the same name, the Joe and the cool and all that kind of stuff. He doesn't look like the Hulk. He doesn't look like Superman. He just does everything exactly right. Yeah, and to me, when I look at Joe Burrow, he has the charisma at Namath. Yeah. 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 All right. And if he doesn't remind you of Tom Brady, I went against Tom Brady a hundred times, got beat on it 99 times. <laughs> That's who that sucker reminds me of. And you talk about it like great players elevate the play of, uh, of all, all their teammates. Well, he does that. But you know who else he elevated? Everybody in his building. Yeah. This is a once-in-a-lifetime player. And he came to Cincinnati in great circumstances, a perfect player for for that franchise. This guy, uh, he's amazing. And Tom Brady does the same darn thing in New England. And so, to me, that's who this guy is. Good luck. Everybody's going to have to face this cat for the next million years. I don't know if he gets six Super Bowls, but he's going to get a bunch there, of them. There are, there are a lot of times where people have to tell you who you are where we get to sit up here and say, well, this is who this guy is, and then he starts to feel it. They believe in me. My coaches believe in me. The outside world thinks I'm the greatest. Joe Burrow thought he was this dude before he was. When he was 16 touchdowns and five interceptions at LSU, he acted like this, and I hated him. Because I was like, bro, like, you are trash, and you act like this. And then I watched him throw some footballs in camp the next year, and I said, oh, wow. I didn't know he had this. And then you see what happens in 2019. And now you see him change the Cincinnati Bengals organization. He is an organizational changer. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. He did the same yeah. thing in college. He's done the same thing for the Cincinnati Bengals. And I agree with Dan. And I sent him a tweet yesterday. I said, Dan, am I wrong? I think Patrick Mahomes and, and I think Josh Allen, and like you said, Jalen Hurts, can do some things that truly, truly put me in awe. Yeah. Joe Burrow fascinates me because all the things that you want to teach, he does better than everybody else. <coughs> and then there are other things that he's now teaching coaches that you should tell your quarterback because I do them so well. Joe Burrow is going to be a clinic tape for the next two decades because they're going to say, yeah, I know you want these dudes to throw no looks. I know you want these dudes on third and four to run over linebackers. Let me tell you how you can get to a place where you don't need them. Teach them this. Yes. And that's why they're yes. in the AFC Championship again. You said it here Friday. That the words you see on your screen from RC here Friday, he's playing the quarterback position. Better than anybody, better than anybody which is what yep. Dan just said. Right? But who's going to bet against that kid? Thank you for watching ES. So the words, and I, I shouldn't have credited Dan Orlovsky just as an individual because it also went to Rex Ryan. Voices you heard was Rex Ryan, and then it went to Ryan Clark, and then obviously Mike Greenberg, who hosts uh, Get Up every morning. The words that were said right there were, and, and I'm not making it up, Joe Burrow's the best quarterback in football. Even though these other guys do things that are better than Joe Burrow, he's still the best quarterback. The The line that Chris Carton used, or Craig Carton used, and Dan Orlowski used the last couple of weeks was, Patrick Mahomes is the better football player, but Joe Burrow is the better quarterback. Maybe I'm maybe I'm missing something, Trevor and Eddie. You guys can sometimes lead me to the light on some things. What does that remind you of, um, Does... Does Patrick Mahomes play tight end? Does Patrick Mahomes play defensive end? Does he play safety? Or does he play quarterback too? So how does he... How is Patrick Mahomes a better football player but not a better quarterback than Joe Burrow? That that was that was like a confusion I had 10, 15 days ago when this was all coming about. But my confusion doesn't end there. 
Because um, Dan Orlovsky just yesterday dropped his top five quarterbacks of all time. <laughs> Change that tune up real quick. Do you guys want to guess where he has Joe Burrow on this list? He doesn't. Mm-hmm. You want to know who's number two on his all-time list? Patrick Mahomes, the guy that's not a better quarterback than Joe Burrow. I'm not even going to give you the rest of the list because there's a name on there that I can actually go on a tangent on as to why he <laughs> should not be on this list. It's John Elway. Yeah. Uh, but he has Patrick Mahomes as the second greatest quarterback of all time. But less than a week ago, he was telling us there's a guy that is currently in the league that is a, literally like six months younger than Patrick Mahomes that is better at the position than Patrick Mahomes. I respect, again, from the top of what I said, I respect former players and what they bring to the equation when it comes to these shows. But I think some of these players try too hard to be a Skip Bayless because they know it's what garners attention. Or ahead of the curve. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You want to sound smarter than what you really are, no offense, but it's the truth. And like certain plays that Dan's known for, he gets out of bounds. And that's what happened in this moment with Dan. (laughs) Is he decided to try to sound like he knew something we all didn't know. And to his credit, it wasn't just him. Rex say that he's just like Tom Brady and that he's going to win a bunch of Super Bowls. Those were Rex's words. Ryan Clark, confusingly enough, said that that he is doing things. It's going to be a clinic for the next two years, two decades. I'm not saying that Joe Burrow isn't one of the best quarterbacks in football. In fact, I think he's the second best quarterback in football. But there is a steep gap, a steep gap between Patrick Mahomes and everybody else. Because it's funny how we try to downplay all the cool stuff he can do that Joe Burrow can't. Does that not add to the repertoire? Does that not add to what he is? If you can do the things that Tom Brady did and do more, does that not make you the better player? It's a lot like we talk about with LeBron. He's the best overall player. If he can pass like Magic and score like MJ, does that not make him the better player? When you have more to your game and you play at a higher level, that makes you the better player. Joe Burrow can't do what Patrick can do and, quite frankly, hasn't accomplished what Patrick Mahomes has accomplished. So what are we basing it off of? It's a very, very uncomfortable conversation, guys. Because I think we're so used, and I'm just going to say it, we're so used to our quarterbacks being white and methodical and just doing the, the good stuff and being the old boy that we don't realize that some of these black quarterbacks can simply do more. Patrick Mahomes has more naturally gift, more natural gifts and talents than Joe Burrow could ever dream of or Tom Brady could ever dream of. Thanks. And it's more comfortable for them to talk about Josh Allen because he's a white quarterback that can go out there and play mobile quarterback. Thanks. It's how it is, man. We've got to change our mindset. And it shows that even the former players that played the position, ironically enough, can't get that out of their own heads. Joe Burrow has not done anything that Patrick Mahomes hasn't already done, and he's still chasing after Patrick Mahomes. Dan Orlovsky, Rex Ryan, Ryan Clark, and anybody else that wants to buy into that bullshit narrative and then wants to flip it like it ain't no big deal, do me a solid and hold this L. Oh, and then uh, one of our fans has an L. Oh, please. oh yeah. Hell yeah, let's do it. Um, it says, I got an L. Whomever the dumbass is that has a current bid of $80,100 
for the send where Brady, uh, Tom Brady stood and retired from. That shit's wild. WTF. So who's, who, do we know? The, uh, I believe. Uh, I'd like to give them credit for this one. Give me a second. Yeah, I, I for guess, some reason on StreamYard, it doesn't show the it, name. On, yeah, on, on, show on Facebook comments, yep, it doesn't show the name. Give me a second. Uh, John Harrison. John Harrison. That's our, one of our most loyal listeners and followers. Shout and we appreciate John. you, John. Um, yeah, I did see that. Uh, supposedly, someone's trying to sell the land, uh, the sand from the actual see, location where Tom Brady did his announcement, shit, his retirement video, and he's probably going to end up getting that thing sold, that's which so, is sad. That's so, so creepy, bro. Yeah. Well, that's the bit. So it's yeah. getting sold. It's going to yeah. get sold. Yeah. yeah. So John Harrison for John Harrison, the person <laughs> so that's trying to sell Tom Brady's uh, butt sand. Do me a solid and hold, hold this out. And for anybody that tries to buy it. <laughs> God, yeah, shit's so We appreciate creepy. that, John. That's, cr- that's a bid. That's yeah. Bid. Hilarious. Somebody's got money and a lot of boredom. This has been a fun show, guys. We did not uh, we did not touch the Super Bowl at all. And I did that intentionally because this is the beautiful thing about having two weeks before the game. We wanted to bring out whatever we had currently at this time. But trust me when I say, in one week's time... We're going to have one hell of a show for you guys. We're going to be talking about the third Super Bowl appearance for the Chiefs in the last four years. we got some great stats. I've already been posting them, so if you if you haven't already, join us on Facebook on our uh, the Spoken group. It's a Facebook group. You can just go right in there, hit the add button. We'll bring you right in. You can post whatever you like, talk whatever you like. Be, you know, just be, be respectful at least a little bit, unless yeah. it's to Eddie, and then you can say whatever you want to him. But I've already dropped some facts and stats, guys, on Twitter and on Facebook about this matchup because I couldn't wait. But on this show, man, I wanted to wait one more week to get our thoughts and viewpoints on this and, more importantly, our predictions of what we're going to see in this game. But I promise you guys, if you if you hang tough and wait another week, we will give you guys everything we got. When it comes to this matchup, because these are two really good teams, there's a lot of context there that I want to break down as to why there's going to be some things happening in this game that I feel really good about. But in the meantime, I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I hope you guys enjoy this week because we got a lot to talk about, guys, and I hope you're enjoying this because the Chiefs aren't going anywhere except to more Super Bowls. Unless Dan Orlovsky has something to say about it, then obviously, you know, then there's going to be some guy like, uh, you know, C.J. Stroud that's just better at quarterback somehow than Patrick Mahomes. That's for another year at another time that we'll discuss that. But for the meantime, for Trevor Twidwell, for Eddie Ortiz, for the great Clay Winner that puts us all together, and hell, for John Harrison who's been dropping some stats today and some facts and being very chatty today, we appreciate John Harrison. I'm Lance Twidwell. Episode 204 of the Spoken Podcast is done, finished, infinito, until we're here one week's time for 205 talking about Eagles versus Chiefs in Super Bowl 57. We out of this bitch. See ya. We're going to get out of this bitch. Thank you so much for listening, guys. See ya. You are tuned in to the spoke. I might actually stick. I might actually stick around for a little bit.